0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real-life scenarios with real live people. Hi
1: everybody, welcome to tonight's amazing program. Thank you for coming here tonight. Tonight is share number 92 Tzadik Bez with Let's Get Real Program and Coach Menachem Bernfeld live. I want to first always start off every week by thanking everybody for coming. And, uh, you know, the, the, the program is really growing and exploring. Thank you to all the viewers for posting on the WhatsApp statuses and telling people about the program. Like I always say, please tell friends and family, post it all over. It's a very, you know, an amazing share. And, you know, not every share is in the game for every single person, but it's in the game for a lot of people. And if it's not for you, at least post it, let people know about it. And um, everything we have, all the people that are here tonight, all the people that, will, you know, thousands of people that will listen to it afterwards, it's all coming from togetherness, it's all from, you know, grassroots movements, as Rabbi uh, Weinberger says, and uh, thank you, you know, for joining and being part of it. Again, if anyone wants to jo- join the WhatsApp status, I send out every Sunday, you can WhatsApp me at 848 525 and save my number of your phone, and every Sunday I'll send you the flyer. You could also go to manachembernfeld.com his website, Coach Menachem's site, Menachemburnfell.com. And sign up to the weekly emails where he sends out the flyers and he could also ask questions. Hashem, we got a nice few questions for every Classical tonight, so we're going to get it going. Uh, for all the people who are watching this uh, later on YouTube, you can please click on the Like button and the Subscribe button. So every Monday, uh, what time am I? 2.30 a.m., they get the, the notification that the new video went up and you can watch it. Again, I want to start off first with thanking our advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, over here in Lakewood. A special thank you to Rabbi Yaniv from Chazak. For promoting us on the Chazak channels. We appreciate that. Special you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the digital platforms. The, Ca- the coach Menachem shows collaborating with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community. Uh, you can go to OKClarity.com to find the best therapists, uh, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forms, and stay inspired. Menachem will email a link after the show, Menachem just want to reiterate and bring it up again. Menachem, again, has been working very hard on the books. Every class classical. we didn't tell you this beforehand, but we are taking all our shiurim, and we're putting it in a short question-answer format with a little opening and uh, trying to put together a book. Every 40 shiurim is basically one book, so you'll share 92. So hopefully by 2027... Number three. So Yeah, 2023. I'm joking. The, cook, the book should come out, and hopefully it will be a beautiful thing, and Manachem's going to email some information about what's going on with that, it should be... Um, and it should be very helpful. Again, for everybody who here the first time, tonight, every Sunday night at 9.30 on this Zoom ID, we have a different share, we have a different rabbinim, therapists, more different people. And now tonight, M'Hashem, we have Rabbi Kalatzko. Next Sunday, we have a little change of venue. Menachem. That's it. <laughs> Next Sunday, me and Menachem will not be here for the first time and it will not be a share Sunday night. There will be a share Monday night. We're pushing it off where me and Menachem are going to be away. And we cannot we could not rearrange it that it should work, so we're going to be next Monday night, um, February 28th. We have an amazing program with Rebbe Suma Ginsberg. He's a Rebbe and Eric Yisrael. is an unbelievable person. He's also CEO of a publicly traded company, and um, I happened to know him from many many years ago. He's he's unbelievable. He's going to be discussing how to get where we want to go, and he's going to tell us the secrets on achieving your real life goals. It should be a powerful program again. If anybody tell people about it, it should be really really powerful. Hope to see you next. Monday night, February 28th. Tonight we have the in the honor of having world-famous from C in Glasgow with us tonight. It's going to be an amazing program. And before we get into that, we do now a new shtick, because our, our, our president of the Shia, Erna Echfried, he's doing gematrias. the gematria for, for Tzadik Beis, the Rosh Tevis first of all stands for Ribbon C in Glasgow, Sadik Bays, right, Beis Sadik. and 92 stands for Hashem Alekecha. It's gematria Hashem Alekecha, which equals 92. So Hashem is with us, and Hashem tonight should be with us, so we should continue, we're going to start off first with Coach Manachem. he's going to give opening words, Manachem, what are we
0: talking about tonight? It's tough, that's a tough question, that's a tough question, and before we get to the tough questions, I want to welcome everyone, and uh, thank you so much, Rabbi Klatzko, for being here with us. I do want to thank all of you that sent the feedback from last week from Daniel Katz. I want to thank you personally, thank everyone for the feedback. We brought Hashem had a lot, a lot of feedback and there's a lot to talk about. It's like we bring up topics and then we go on to the next, but it could take weeks and weeks. So I do want to thank you all for the feedback, the positives and the negatives. So we get a feeling of how people understand What's going on? And uh, Barqashan, tonight, yeah, we we many times have tough questions. And tonight we're gonna be focusing on our kids, how to uh, answer them and really how to react, especially if we don't have the answer. But even if we do have the answer, many times when they ask the question, we have to realize that they don't want to hear the answer. They're not ready for the answer. And by you telling them the answer basically in their mind they're saying you don't understand us you don't understand me i'm not asking you my questions again so we just lost some opportunity over there which is very important but before we start i do want everyone that's here with us tonight or anybody listening to the replay if you can stop for a minute and think back when you were young when you had questions did you have someone to go to to ask? What was your father's reaction, your mother's reaction, your Rebbe's reaction? Or maybe you decided when you were very young, like I said before, not to ask any questions. Many times we get the reaction of an adult that just keep yourself with your questions and stay far. Don't come here with your questions. And basically as a child, we're not strong enough to push and to be there and to explain. And we tell ourselves, okay, fine. I guess my questions are not good questions. So I won't ask them. And it stays inside, which is a big, big problem. Not only in the, you're talking about a rabbi in the class or at home, but really for questions. Any question, if a child can't come to a place, to an adult where they can sit down, feel um, it's safe, they're not going to get a smack. They're not going to get a pushback. They're just going to have a listening ear, understand where they're coming from. And many times, why it could be hard for an adult is because based on how they were able to um, express their questions when well, they were young. Talking about Ashkafe questions, you're talking about many people could could be doing the right thing from the outside, but, but maybe inside they don't have the answer, they're not sure, but they have told themselves, I better just keep on going, do what I need to do, like everyone else, because what's my other option? And then when the child, little, little kid, five-year-old, or maybe a 10-year-old, or a 15- or 20-year-old comes and wants to discuss with you something that you don't know, there's a lot of triggers, a lot of buttons being pushed. So it's a good awareness before we start. So imitsha tonight we have with us our and I, I believe he has many, many years of experience. You're talking about around the Shabbos table with at least 70 people every 70 teenagers every week, which it's inevitable. These questions come up. So, how do you answer them? Do you throw them back with answers or you listen? So, imitsha we should have a lot of stuff after Shmaya tonight, and hear how to be able to relate to connect so the child. Or the inner child can slowly come out and talk about what they're asking. Thank you, and should be with us.
1: Beautiful opening again. Before we start, I'm just going to recap. Tonight's year is titled, Um, you know, how to deal with the tough questions that our children, you know, present us. And again, I just want to say about Rabbi Clasco. Somebody just told me, uh, Rabbi Landa, Shoma Landa told me he was with you, I think it was last Shabbos. He had an amazing Shabbos on campus. Rabbi Klasko is like world famous to dealing with teenagers and Kirov. actually got many requests for Rabbi Klasko to come on to give chizik at a few teenage, teenage girl that said she's had struggling with Yiddish guy, and she loved Rabbi Klasko to give some chizik to her to, you know, feel. So we've asked the Shem, he's here and I'm going to read his bio, but from the people that know him, like Menachem said, his Shabbos table, every Shabbos, let me know when I'm invited, but his Shabbos table is, is a rocking Shabbos table and he has all walks of life. You know, like obviously, when you want to invite somebody, you want to make sure you're comfortable, it doesn't uh, the kids. Rekhatsko's house is, is Kajjish Kachim, from my understanding, and the questions he deals with and the things he deals with is real firsthand. So we could talk about our kids and our things that we deal with and our personal comfortability, but he's dealing with this on a big global scale. So I think he's definitely the right person to tackle this topic. So I'm going to read your bio, Rabbi Classical, and then it's yours. Rabbi in Clasco. Rabbi Classical attended tells Yeshiva in Cleveland, Staten Island Yeshiva in BMG. He received his rabbinic ordination from me, Yeshiva in Brooklyn. New York of Shmuel Burma, Myra Rabbi accepted an offer to serve as a rabbi of 14th Avenue, Al Yisrael of Brooklyn, New York, and Shari Tzedek congregation in Porth Amba, New Jersey. Rabbi has been involved in campus outreach for the past two decades as the regional director of Odomi. Abe seeing has also founded the website Chabad.com to facilitate Chabas and Shidduch connections across the globe. Today's Chabad.com is the largest Jewish social network in the world, endorsed by Gedolim and endorsed by, I'm sorry, endorsed by Godelman, active in 100, 212 countries. 10,000 people a week take advantage of the Shabbat.com service, which also includes Shaduchim. Rabbi Klasko is an author. The country is, is nine publishing and a music composer and producer and a Moyle. Rabbi Klasko and his wife Shana, Shani, I guess her maiden name is Dravel and eleven, and their 11 children currently live in Munson, New York, while hosting 70 or more people for Shabbos on the regular norm. Up to 500, right? What's your max, Rabbi Klasko? 500, there's a max? And he's been uh, no,
2: we, we never hit 500.
1: Never hit 500. And he has been the frontier of improving Jewish community. I'm in the same class. As Chosta, have you here. Please open it up for all the people that are here.
2: Okay. Well, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Uh, I just want to start off by saying that I notice as I'm watching that my parents uh, have come onto the Zoom. So it's interesting when we speak about how to uh, answer questions to your children when I am the child my parents are watching and I want to just give them covered uh, everything that I learned and everything that I know, but even more so the, the, the Derek that I have, I got from uh, uh, Dr. Klatsko and uh, Mrs. Klatsko and uh, I say hello to them from Cleveland, Ohio. So thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I recognize a lot of people here and uh, I thank you for taking the time and I hope it'll be worth your time. And, um, uh, and, and I hope to, to be able to share with you some uh, some ideas that you can use. I'm going to start off by uh, just telling you a little little story. There was um, a rabbi who was doing Kiruv, and it was after the meal on Friday night, and he wanted to get the students involved. So he said, everyone, come around, come around, and come, we're going to do a little bit of learning. And uh, they and the students you know they weren't so in the mood but they 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 started to gather around this rabbi and then he says i'll tell you what if you could ask me a question that i can't answer twenty dollars after shabbos twenty dollars so um the students and and of course the rabbi is trying to pull out of them their questions and create uh some some action around the table uh twenty dollars if you ask me a question that i can't answer so the first kid said how many times does it say S in the Torah? And the rabbis, says, okay, I owe you $20. No more $20. And um, it, a little bit of a lesson that uh, when somebody comes and uh, says, you know, I'm going to give you all the answers, uh, you should probably turn the other way. My uncle uh, was Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Joseph Elias. He uh, was a very, very well-known speaker from Breuer's. And I I spoke to Rabbi Elias. He's since passed on. We spoke about, I used to ask him, why don't we just write a a book with all the major answers to the questions and uh, to the questions that people ask in Ashkafa? And he said, do you think you have all the answers? You don't. And he began to pepper me with questions. And uh, very soon it's clear that what we don't know is a lot more than what we do know. Having said that, uh, it is... Not a good policy not to answer any questions at all. But as Coach Menachem said, we have to understand the shoresh or the root of where the question is coming from. Before, uh, so my history uh, has me landing now in Muncie, New York. Before that, I was in UCLA. I was a rabbi in Los Angeles in the college called UCLA. I did a Kiruv for UCLA and USC and some other colleges. And before that, I was in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. I had a shul there, and our shul had—I'm uh, sorry, our our home in Perth Amboy had a pool in the backyard that the local yeshiva used to use on Friday, and we were more than happy to let them use this shul. And there was one boy who was really struggling, and he said, "I'm not sure, you know, if I believe in God. I don't know if I believe the Torah is true." And and I said, well, let's let's go at it, here we go. Why do you think it's not? And let's see if we can answer your questions. And I had done it for a little while at that time. Now I've done it for about 30 years, uh, done this question and answer thing. Um, and and I stayed up with him until about three in the morning and sort of any question that he asked, I was able to checkmate. And at a certain point, he looks at me and says, can I be honest with you? I said, please, it's three in the morning, be honest. He says, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the truth. It's not the answers that are going to do it for me because I know there are answers. I really do. But the truth is, I'm lazy. I don't want to do it. I said, okay, we're getting somewhere now. But the truth is, a lot a lot of the times that uh, we hear questions uh, from people and from our children, we're not really hearing questions. We're hearing answers, or like we say, they're turutsum. There are explanations why I shouldn't dress the way I want to, or why I should be able to do this on Shabbos or why Davini shouldn't be so important to me. So I don't have to get up. And that's okay. It's, it's, it's good to understand where the child's coming from. But if we, if we zero in on trying to answer the question, as coach Menachem said, without understanding what re, what the child really is going through, then Uh, Even if the question was answered completely and logically, and uh, indisputably so, uh, it still will not fall on uh, willing ears and hearts, because that's not where the child is coming from. Having said all that, it's really important to know that, as we say in Israel, bigadol in general, the answers are there. Doesn't mean I have all of them. But I would tell you the key answers to the difficult questions are out there. Now, in our lives, when we have difficult questions, number one, those questions will come up. And they'll come up either from our children, our children are going to bring them up. And it's going to it's going to hit us in a way that we weren't expecting it to, because I always wondered about that myself, but I sort of hit it underneath the rug, but now my kid is asking and I don't have a satisfactory answer for my child because I never answered it satisfactorily, satisfactorily for myself. And most of the general questions have what we call a mahalik. they have an approach. Now in life, we it's good to have an approach, how to answer a question even if the approach is not a satisfactory approach. Because throughout our lives, we're going to be able to upgrade the answers that we give to difficult questions. We're always looking for an upgrade. So I heard an answer to a certain question. It was okay. I could live with that answer now, but I am looking forward to a better answer. I know there's a better answer out there, but this answer already works for me on some level right now. That works, that's an okay, that's a fine, that's an okay approach. When I was in yeshiva in seventh grade, our math teacher uh, came in and uh, said, I have a a, a puzzle for you. And if you could solve this puzzle, you get an A on the course, no more tests, no finals, just solve this puzzle. And he drew a, he drew a little um, shape. It had two squares on top and three squares on the bottom. And he said, "Take your pen or pencil, and bisect each of these lines, one time. Don't miss any line, and don't go through any line twice." And we right away drew this drew this little shape, and we started doing it. And it was very exciting. And I had a, a very close friend named Binyamin and Binyamin began doing his homework. I said, Binyamin, what are you doing? Don't do your homework. If you could solve this, there will be no homework because there'll be you'll, you'll get an A. And he looks at me and he says, do you think the teacher would be allowed to give a question that could be answered to give you an A? He's got to teach the material. Obviously it's impossible. So I may as well get a head start on my homework. And of course, I disagreed with him, as did a lot of my class. And so we spent the rest of the time trying to do it. And then, of course, Vinyaman was correct. And in the end, he had his homework done. And I had just frustration and no A on the course. So uh, there was a lesson learned. And the lesson learned was what a great way to um uh, to use up time when I become a substitute one day. And so it was, as I got older, I became a substitute. And sometimes a, a question was not asked, uh, or not, not a question, a, uh, the 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 uh, schedule, what the kids were supposed to learn uh, was not given to me. I was the teacher and they didn't tell me what I was supposed to teach. So here I was, I would draw this same diagram and say, okay, I'm your substitute. Here's what we're gonna do today one time, not twice. And if you solve this, I give you $100. And I would, you know, if I had a $100 bill or a $50 bill, whatever, I'd put it on the desk. And the way that the puzzle works is sometimes it looks like it was dissected. It looks like, wow, every line was broken. But if you look carefully, you'll see it wasn't or a line was broken twice. So one of the Kids came over to me and said, Rabbi, aren't you worried that you're going to lose $100? I said, not really. I'm not worried. You know why? Because I know that the answer is it's impossible. So I'm just sort of using up time. So even when students would come to the desk and say, Rabbi, I did it. I did it. $100. I would say, great, great, $100. But let me just, just to be sure, let me check it over. Ah, you missed it. I was very sure, I had a a certainty about the fact that this was impossible. As a parent, you should know for yourself that if questions are asked about Judaism, there are good answers that exist. And just because we don't know them or you don't know them or your local rabbi doesn't or your friend doesn't, doesn't mean they don't exist. And. You know, we, I used to think, wow, if it was good enough for the Vilna Gone, he was a smarter man than me. He'd probably a good answer to this question. The Vilna Gone thought of this question also. I know that's not satisfactory for a 15 year old, but sometimes, and this is my final point with this, sometimes there's a 15 year old in us. There's this child in us that has these same questions. And then there may be the questions of tzaddik varalo. There may be questions about the, the, Rabbanim or Torah Shabal Peh or Eretz Yisrael or whatever they are. And we never got a satisfactory answer. So when the question comes up, we're not sure how to respond. I want to tell you that you don't need to be all that learned to have a basic mahalach, a basic Uh, direction and how to answer a question so tonight i'm going to attempt to answer the questions in a brief form now believe it or not that's much harder for me to do than to be more more verbose it's much easier when you ask a question for me, you know, I'm a rabbi after all, and I've I've been doing lectures. I did a Zoom today for college students in the afternoon with very difficult questions, God, God existing. It's easy to speak for an hour. It's much harder to speak for five minutes. But if you're going to speak to your kids, they don't have the hour. And we have to sort of give them something that's brief to the point, and we have to give it to them in a way that they see in our eyes they hear in the tone of our voice and they feel with their heart that our heart believes what we just said and it makes them feel a sense of calm like wow i had a question there is an answer do i understand it completely our kids most of our kids are not einstein they don't they don't have so much depth they just something's bothering them and they want to know what is the approach and again, not to forget the human element. So that's, that's my intro. Um, we have all sorts of questions. Like I said, we're, we, I'm going to try to keep it short. I may, uh, I may transgress, honestly. Um, I get excited when it comes to questions. I, all my life, I try to upgrade uh, my answers because understanding these help me become closer to Hashem. I want to come closer to Hashem and, batuchal." The idea of Israel is we struggle, and then we overcome. We struggle, we overcome, and that's the most natural thing. We're allowed to struggle, and we want to overcome, and we're not going to let our questions become answers. The questions are not answers. The questions, and if we can't answer, then as we say in Yiddish, but I'll translate the English. I don't know the audience. The world doesn't fall apart from a question. The questions happen, and. Sometimes we could also say I don't know, and uh, I enjoy saying I don't know, not too often. I'd rather say I do know, but if I don't, I, I just you know, and 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 I think that that's that's also acceptable. Okay,
1: Rabbi, Rabbi Klatsko, the beautiful opening. I don't know what to say anymore. I'm lost. <laughs> okay, let's 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 take a poll. We're gonna take the poll to get get the oil warmed up. We have a few live questions, and again we have the schus of having Rabbi Klatsko here tonight and. Please take advantage of our class who is here. And we have questions. Everybody has their own personal questions. Everybody has the children's questions. A lot of the children's questions are our questions. So we need to really chaperine and, you know, deal with it. So let's do first the polls. Here we go. Okay. The first question is like this. When your children ask difficult ask questions, how do you deal with it? Three options. Let's see. Let's see how you deal with it. Number one, I try to answer to the best of my knowledge. Number two, I just ignore them and tell them to ask their teachers or their or their abeim. Option C, I feel lost and uncomfortable and question my own beliefs. So, for example, child comes, uh, how do I know Hashem exists? One of those type of questions. How do you how do you deal with it? So, those are the three answers. Choose one of them. Don't worry, it's multiple choice, and we're not we're not monitoring who's answering what. We don't know. Number two, when I see much my kids struggling with Yiddish kind of religion what do I do? I'm patient and I'm understanding. I freak out and go crazy. This, you can be honest with this, this but it's, you don't have to, you know, right, I'm totally amazing. I'm patient and understanding. I freak out and go crazy. I shut down internally like a brick wall. I think I fall into denial until somebody tells me about what's going on. So those are two bold questions. Let's answer those questions. Then we'll jump straight in. I think we'll start off first with a live question. Then we have a bunch of questions that came in. And again, like I said before, let's have a We have Rabbi Chatzko here doing just 20 years, and he's dealing with, with all walks, shapes and forms, so I don't think anything will scare him. He might not have the answer, but it won't scare him. Okay, five seconds, let's go, and then uh, let's share the answers. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, I'm going to share the results. Okay, the first question, when your children ask difficult hashikafah questions, how do you deal with it? Ninety classical. 94% I try to answer the best of my knowledge. 2% said I just ignore them and tell them to speak to their obeyment teachers. 4% I feel lost and, and uncomfortable with my my own beliefs. So we have a crowd here very uh, sophisticated, intelligent people that try their best to answer it, which is it's impressive. I, I think that's an impressive uh, thing over here. When I see my children struggling with Yiddish kind of religion, 69% the winning answers I, I'm patient and understanding. 15%, I freak out and go crazy. 11%, I shut that and turn it like a brick wall. Only 5% are into denial until someone tells me what's really going on. Rokaski, if you wanna just speak about the polls for a second, and, no, this, sure. and then we'll, we will have a live question and we'll jump straight into the live question.
2: Okay, so uh, first question. the first question, um, 94% said, I tried to answer to the best of my knowledge. Um, you, you should, and I'll tell you why you should because you, you have a lot of knowledge. Uh, very often, you know, questions can paralyze us, but if especially if you have been through a uh, yeshiva system and you've been to a besiakob, there is all this knowledge uh, that maybe you've never had to use before, but it exists somewhere up there. And it's sort of refreshing when your child asks it and y- you, would, you would be surprised uh, how well you're able to craft an answer that is that is a good answer. Now, if the child asks questions, uh, I, I think we're, good, we're going to talk about this later, but child asks questions uh, that are things that you've never studied, let's say in science and so on. So then, you know, that, that that may be something that you say, I'm not comfortable, or I don't know, or this is our approach. But uh, you, you should try to answer to the best of your knowledge. And again, children seeing how Confident or comfortable you are, uh, that makes a very big impression. The second question, when I see my kids struggling with Yiddishkeit and religion, I'm patient and understanding. Sixty-nine percent. I gotta say, I am a little bit surprised by that. Uh, pleasantly so. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised because um, I I don't think uh, I I don't I don't know how much I know I know that's how I'm supposed to be. I know I'm supposed to be loving and patient and understanding. Um, But let's, let's be honest. Like we invest in our kids, our lifeblood, like we do everything for them and we want nothing more in life than for them to have a connection to Hashem. And when we uh, see them being lax in certain things or uh, not uh, or struggling our minds, or you know, I, I I'd like to speak for the public because I think that's where most people are. We begin to project the worst, like wow. First comes this, then comes that, and before you know it, and that's you know th- that's how we are. We that's how we are taught to thought for uh, 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 taught to think. Uh, for example. When we learn first, if you take uh, if you take an isha shvuya, you know it's going to happen. You're gonna you're gonna have a an issue with who gets the Pishnaim, and then you're gonna end up with uh, ben saramar. A leads to B leads to C, right? Uh, I, I see. Being... so for so many people to say I am patient, and understanding. I think uh, I think I'd like to sort of screenshot that and bring it to Hashem on Yom Kippur, like Hashem. Be a patient, and understanding with us, look like how look like how we're patient, and understanding with our children. I think that's a beautiful melech for kli yisrael, and I think it's also a a uh, the, the correct. It's, it's clearly the correct approach. Our love for our children cannot be conditional or contingent on their service of Hashem. It has to it has to be love. So that's hey.
3: my feedback.
1: Okay, let's jump into it. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Hey, um, first live question. You're on.
3: Hi, so I have a 14 year old daughter who is very brilliant and asks a lot of very good questions. And in school, during her shkofa classes, she might ask existential questions about um, Hashem and, you know, Darach Hashem and all that. And her principal told her she's not allowed to ask questions. Um, it's upper curses and um, she'll never be happy this way. And this shows that she's off the Darach. Maybe, you know, she has questions about Hashem, and she instructed the teachers not to like, even let her ask her questions. How do I deal, A, with my daughter and the questions, B, with the hanhala in such a situation? Okay, that's a, a really, really
2: great question. And uh, there's, there's, I, w- I would split up the question into two aspects. Uh, one aspect is the, the questions that your daughter actually has. Are they being addressed? Sounds like they're, like they're not. And B, uh, the, the dynamism or the, the, the fit in the class where the teacher was trying to uh, promote, to teach, to instruct. And these questions uh, maybe are not questions the students have or maybe they're going to be addressed later or maybe the other students are not as brilliant. So th- the teacher feels they're not ready yet for these questions and it's throwing it off. It's throwing it off. Um there could be a C which is that uh I'm not saying your daughter's like this, but uh it I, I could envision somebody sort of being angry like a child being angry and just throwing questions at the teacher and the questions are not really coming from a, a place of where the child wants to know but they're just um, what we, we it's called like canter like the questions that are really just sort of to make uh, uh, to make trouble or mischief or to, to, to create a, uh, to create a tumult so
3: right, uh, it's not coming from a place of challenging it's coming from a cl- place of like really thinking deeply and and wanting to understand. Okay. And so yeah, good. Go ahead. I feel like the principal um, doesn't have the answers, or the teachers don't have the answers, and it's easier to just shut up a child than to answer correctly.
2: Got it. Got it. Okay. So uh, certainly, uh, certainly, I, it, it sounds like your your child really, really does want to know. If your child is like that, uh, my approach would be to speak to your daughter and say. Um, Uh, look the the let's assume whether the teacher or the principals know or don't know the answer it's not uh, a good dynamic to have these questions being thrown out and if you really really want to know that's not how you're going to learn it because it sounds like you're trying to rile up the class but the questions are are legit and they need to be answered but That's not how they're going to get answered. And the the opposite is going to happen. Um, And therefore, I'll tell you what, I will find someone in the school, this is what you should tell her, I will find someone in the school who I feel both has the knowledge and the patience to really, really hear what you're asking and to try to give you the answer to the best of their ability. And if I can't find someone in the school, then I'm going to find someone out of the school. But to do it in class when the teachers uh, are trying to uh, direct or choreograph the class a certain way, um, uh, th- that's not how you're going to get to where you want to get to. And I know you're coming from a good place. So let, let's really get your questions answered. If you tell your child, well, probably the principal said that because she doesn't know, I, I would think that that would be harmful because that would that would put all sorts of doubts in her mind. Like, wow, well, the teacher doesn't know, then we're all like sheep and we're just doing what, whatever. And the moment we're challenged, we don't know how to answer. Uh, the, so, so have that conversation with her. Find out for the principal. I have a feeling that it may be a mixture of her very much wanting to know, but also maybe not understanding because she's 14, a 14 uh, rabbi. Ronnie Greenwald, who was a friend of mine, used to say that you don't have a brain when you're 16. So call the Homer when you're 14. Children just, they, they 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 don't understand the dynamics. So tell her not to do it during class and you'll make sure she gets the answers. The answers are there. They exist. And if the teacher can't answer it, you'll find someone who does. But not to do it in class. I want to tell you that I just ran a class in Psaic. And there happened to be one young lady, who kept not just asking these kind of questions, but they did in a way that it I, I couldn't I couldn't move further, and eventually I and it not only was was frustrating for me but all of the other young ladies who were there th- these were post seminaries they were they were like 18 19 they had to come for a class they were getting very frustrated and I said you know what um I, I want you to write down every one of your questions and I will stay as long as you want and answer them and guess what after the class she had one question and then she was happy so I, I didn't, there weren't all that many questions because I was ready to wait it out. Uh, but, but get get someone to answer and, uh, but not not in class. It could, it could disrupt. Very perfect class
1: though, beautiful. Okay, let's go to the next live question.
4: Hi, uh, you're on. Hi, I'm Elise Levine and I'm 32 years old and I lost my parents recently and I have no one to go to with religious questions. Is there
3: any suggestions on who I can go to? Cause I'm a little bit fuzzy on my knowledge.
2: Wow. wow, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, um, nothing can replace a parent. And uh, having my parents here uh, just reminds me, and I'm already a grandparent myself many times over. So to know that my parents are here, it's a big bracha. Uh, and I, I, I know that your parents, and Shomayim, would be proud of you. You want to continue learning and growing. That's an amazing thing. Uh, who can you choose to be that person? So, I I, I I can't tell you the name of a person. I mean, right. I, mean, I can give you names, but what I would tell you is that get get somebody who is accessible and available. Uh, God gave us a beautiful gift today. It's called WhatsApp, and if you could use WhatsApp, uh, I I. I try to answer all questions that come my way. And Baruch Hashem, I get many, many every day. And I tell them, I may not be able to speak now, but you leave me a voice note on WhatsApp, I will get back to you. I will answer the question. I probably shouldn't say that in front of 527 people. (laughs) I will never eat lunch, but (laughs) uh, but, uh, find somebody who will be accessible. Uh, It's not a matter of, greatness, it's a matter of accessibility. Uh, Somebody will be there for you, uh, and what would be even better, what would be even better is if you were able to meet the person at a minimum of one time for them to sit down with you and get to know who you are and where you're coming from and what you've been through and what you're all about. Asela harav means you you got to be proactive. So... Uh, I, I, if you want, um, you, you, the, uh, they can give you my number uh, after after the class, and I'll be, I'll be happy to try to find someone for you, okay?
4: Okay, thank you very much.
2: My pleasure.
1: All right, my class. Well, let's get into this question. We're going to mix it up a little bit. Sure. I'm a principal in a respected school in Passaic, and the science book has crossed out the words, the world is a million years old. A boy came to me and asked me, I don't know who to believe. The book looks more real. How do I answer him? My kids, another, like another same, same sort of the question, my kids ask me about things about science that we never learned in Shiva. How do I deal with that? There seems like a general theme, because you know, a lot of times things in science, dinosaurs, somebody sent me an email, my daughter asked me about dinosaurs, how do I respond? But it seems there are things in science that, you know, again, science, we definitely believe, You know, either guy believes in science, and we definitely follow, like, you can see even with Corona, we follow science and scientists, but in certain sense, a lot of things in scientists sounds apricartous or HEPA from what we know, right? So that, those are the questions. How do we deal with those type of questions?
2: So if, if my kids were in the room, they're not watching this, they would be rolling their eyes right now because um, uh, they know I love science. I lecture on science as well. And I've gotten to know some Nobel prize winners in my day. I've sat down with them and may, uh, stuck, struck up friendships and uh, they're like, oh no, Tati's gonna get into the weeds. So I'm not gonna get into the weeds unless you ask more questions about that. But I'll, I'm just gonna give you some uh, some general guidelines, okay? The word um, the, the, the concept that science and Torah are at odds uh, is incorrect. Uh, it's incorrect. Unfortunately, uh, people think that because uh, because really because of Christianity, R- early Christians, um, not not that early, but you know a number of years ago during the times of Galileo, uh, heard Galileo say, that or he announced that the earth orbits the sun and not the other way around and and the church fathers said that that is horrible how could you say the earth orbits the sun that would make the earth not the primary creation and we know god made earth primary the sun must orbit the earth and they demanded that galileo uh recant what he said or he'd be put to death well he did recant. He wasn't or Nefesh Al-Kiddush science. And uh, he said, oh, I made a mistake. And they still didn't believe that he wouldn't secretly tell people that uh, he really believes that the Earth orbits the sun. So they ended up putting him under house arrest for the rest of his life. Okay. Uh, and all of that, including uh, what Dar Darwin and Darwinism uh introduced uh, in the 1800s uh, with the church fighting against uh, th- these concepts uh, people clumped together Christianity and Judeo-Christian ideas and for somehow that was mashbia on us. The truth of the matter is uh, science is really just our understanding of how Hashem does what Hashem does. That's all science is let's leave out the the spiritual mystical word science let's not glorify it it's it's the how 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 does it work how does water evaporate That's science right how does my phone work that science science is not a scary thing and it shouldn't be a scary thing um a wise person that i cannot quote because i don't know who said it but a wise person once said that science tells me how and religion tells me why and when science begins to tell me why, uh, then science has overstepped its bounds. Science tells me how something works. Now, having said that, you may be kicking and screaming like, "What do you mean? I'll show you so many places where things are contradicted in science and theorem? So, there, there are there are a number of approaches. And again, this is this is me not going very long. This is me like sort of giving you an approach. Uh, if you want, you'll ask more questions. Then I'll I'll explore it more. Uh, the, the approach is that uh, when we teach our children the very basics of Beresha, and the basics of the Torah, the Torah was never meant to be a science book. It's not even a history book, although it has history in it. It's a book of Torahs. It's a book of laws. And it's not just the book of laws, but it's a book of midos that led to Toros. It's a book of character, people's moral victories and moral failures that ended up resulting in uh, uh, the mitzvos that Hashem gave us. It's a very deep idea. I said a mouthful just now, but basically Torah is not science. How do I know? Well, because the Torah doesn't mention atoms. Where's atoms in the Torah? I mean, everything is made of atoms. Now, somewhere there are atoms, just like somewhere there are electrons, protons, neutrons, neutrinos, quarks, leptons, bosons. They all are there. They're all there. But you don't know where, neither do I. And maybe we'll never know. That's not the point of Torah. And therefore, when when science says something, If it doesn't fly in the face of Torah, absolutely no problem. If it does fly in the face of Torah, it begs a deeper understanding. I'll tell you a really interesting thing. In science, and this is just one one example. Now, there are many examples. One, One clear example. In science... You have a world, I'm, I'm using science, then you'll see what I'm doing over here. That's science, the Big Bang, everything sort of evolves. Eventually we drill in to uh, the, the, a, a uh, universe where star, uh, well, nebula form, you've got uh, Earth, you've got the premortal soup, you've got single cell organisms, you've got tricleobites, you've got things that are growing and those eventually evolve into fish and evolve into birds and you've got dinosaurs somewhere over there. Eventually something happens. Dinosaurs get destroyed. The mammals rise up human beings all the way at the end of uh, the timeline of science. So that's basically the timeline of science going from the macro of the universe to the micro of uh, a human being. Okay. And the timeline of science. Uh, and that's, that's, that's accurate. That's that is what the timeline of science is. Interestingly enough, that is actually also the order of voracious. The order of voracious actually follows the order of science. Um, When it comes to the the, the stars and the sun and the moon, uh, there were different orbits, we could discuss that. When it comes to living organisms, you had tovovo, you had the primordial soup, koshchalpnei sahom, you've got the light. So we can see within Torah that there's not a contradiction to science. Okay, what do you do about the millions of years, billions of years? There are ways of understanding that as well. I was, Zohar, my, I have another uncle, whose name is Moshe Eisenman. He is, uh, he was uh, the Mashkiach of near Yisrael in Baltimore. And I was Zohar to speak to him about uh, dinosaurs. It was one of the questions that were asked. And it's really hard to say that dinosaurs didn't exist. You know why? Because there are tens of thousands Of dinosaur bones, including entire skeletons. And to say they were planted there is a little bit, little bit shaky. God planted them there uh, just to trick us to test our Amunah. So I said to Rabbi Eisenman, Do you believe in dinosaurs? And Rabbi Eisenman answers, "Uh, Did you fill up your car with gas recently? I said, Yes, I did. He said, What do you think you put in your gas tank? dinosaurs that's what fossil fuel is you put dinosaurs in your gas tank of course i believe in dinosaurs so i said to rabbi eisenman wow do you teach that to your kids do you so he said no he didn't say because i'll get kicked out of yeshiva that's people i think oh that's how it's gonna end he said no children when they're young they learn with they learn things being black and white. And it's, it's important. It's important to have some sort of an eagle eye view of the world of Torah, of the others, of, of the emos. It's important because there are lessons to be learned. As we grow older, we understand there's tremendous nuance, not just in the Mifarsham, not just in the gematrias, not just in the Midrashim, but within the nuances of Midrashim, we could find concepts like a Big Bang. It wouldn't be called a Big Bang, but the Zohar says that when Hashem created yeshme Ayan, there was only one point that was yeshme Ayan. Everything else evolved. That's, that's what science says. Essentially, it's to you know and my kids we we talk about this all the time our understanding is like rashi says seven days seven days seven days but what's a day you know there was no sun and moon the sun moon and stars didn't come into their proper orbit till the fourth day so what was the day okay there's rashi but there are other mafarsham as well certain things we will understand certain things we won't but more often than not if we're able to look into the of nuance of what science is saying and the nuance of what the Madrashan tell us, there's not a contradiction. Let me take one more example. It's a big topic and uh, you, if you go online or if you go on Torah anytime, I speak about it for many hours. Um, take evolution. Evolution, although there is a concept that Rabbi Miller, Victor Miller used to speak about, the evolutionists, the evolutionists are those who believe in random evolution that is not Al Pitora, but the idea that Hashem could have created a world where things develop through a mechanism called evolution? Why not? Why not? We don't know the mechanism, so the mechanism evolution is is what it's. There's a mutation. Most mutations are not good. Once in a while, mutation is good. Uh, we see that with COVID. We see evolution in front of our eyes. We actually see evolution in the Gemara. Remember this story? Right? Who is Hillel? Who is Hillel? Well, let's get Hillel angry. Hillel comes out and they ask him questions. Why are these people's feet so big? Why are these people's eyes like this? And he said, because they live in certain areas and they needed bigger feet. They needed their eyes like that. That's, that's evolution. That's things changing, body changing based on the way things change. Even even the Zohar, when it speaks about Adam Arishon, it says there were other people who were kikaif like monkeys that had lived, that lived at that same time, but they did many things that human beings did. But what were they missing? What were they missing? They were missing one thing they were missing in the They were missing in the So Adam Arishon is the beginning of the beginning of what we call Jewish history, because history doesn't begin until we have a Tafkid, and we don't have a Tafkid until we have a Neshama. But there were others who did work like we did. There there is such a Zohar, and there, there's Rambans like that as well. All I'm trying to give to you is that um, when we hear these things, we don't have to say, okay, I'm choosing A or B. Very often, A and B are much more compatible, but we can't be stuck in second or third grade. We'll speak to somebody who knows a little more like I was speaker to speak to Rabbi there are, there are other great people, again, you can ask uh, offline. I'll be glad to uh, direct you towards those people. And, um, and it doesn't have to contradict. I'm gonna add one more thing. The more we learn about the complexity of science and the universe, the closer we will get to Hashem and the closer our children will. I tell my children, how awesome is it? You want to have rain. Why? Because without rain, without water, everything dies. So you create evaporation and the water goes up from the ocean and it gets deposited into pails. The pail is called a cloud. The cloud works like a pail. And then comes a wind and the wind takes the water that was grabbed from the ocean, blows it onto the land. It dumps the water, the pails dump the water, and then it goes back. It's like a cycle. Who thought of that? Who thought to create the universe, the world-like pails, where water can fly, float up? It's heavy. It's heavy enough that it's water that eventually comes down, but it's gathered in pails and dumped. And of course, there's much more when we speak about DNA. DNA, A C T G. Bill Gates used to say, DNA is computer uh, computer code squared, that's squared again. So it's complex and it's created by a designer. We can feel comfortable that the more we understand about science in the world, the more we can appreciate the greatness and the majesty of the creator, and the grand designer.
0: Okay. We need, to, we need to learn all of the science ideas. It sounds like you have a lot of knowledge. But I think many of the audience, when they heard you saying about this, you threw them off. <laughs> many mm-hmm. years growing up with ideas of solid, and we're not going to ask any questions about it. And here you go saying, let's talk about it.
2: <laughs> I, uh... <laughs>
0: So I, I'm not sure if you're
2: asking. Uh, if no, you're asking. I'm
0: just bringing. I'm just being it out. You know, people are gonna email me saying, "What's he talking about? We had dinosaurs, evolution, Hashem Yerachim. You you know it's. So we have to deal. We have to deal with that. So let's clarify it now.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I, you know what's a tanin? A tanin. A tanin. We know what a tanin is because a tanin is mentioned by Moshe Rabbeinu. Vayula Sanin, right? He had a a makel and became a tanin, and then later on it's called a nakash. So we understand that tanin is the general family of nakash, it is the species. So a tanin means a reptile. A reptile is a tanin. Uh, The large reptiles, the large reptiles are mentioned together with the birds, together with the fish, large reptiles, and they're never again mentioned in the Torah. They're literally only mentioned one time, and they're never again mentioned in the whole Torah. That's a little bit crazy. Well, if tanim, the word dinosaur means large reptile. That's literally what it means. So yeah, I know you go to art school and it says the sea monsters. I don't know what a sea monster is. I don't know what a monster is, let alone a sea monster. But I do know that a tanim, even today, means reptile. And I know the word gadol does not mean small. It means large. So taninim gadolim means, and the large reptiles, uh, evolution would say that taninim gadolim uh, should be clumped together with birds, interestingly enough. And you will see taninim gadolim come right before birds, right there in the Torah. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So, yeah, the, uh, can I tell you when I went to tell Zishiva? Uh, or Lakewood that we spoke about it. No, uh, it, uh, it, it, it didn't bother me enough. When I went out to campus and people asked, I said, okay, what do we have to say about it? And guess what? I wasn't disappointed. I was, ha- I was happy, doesn't answer everything, but it let me know when Rabbi Victor Miller speaks about the wonder of an orange, he's not just in the spoil over an orange. He wanted us to extrapolate. If an orange is so amazing, Imagine a pineapple. And if a pineapple is so amazing, imagine a peacock. And if a peacock is amazing, imagine a human brain. These are amazing things. So the creator, the designer who created these things, we're not afraid to discuss a complex world. And, um, you know, if the science really, really flies in the face of Torah, then the science is wrong. And guess what? Science is wrong many, 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 many times. As a matter of fact, science continues to be wrong. And some of the very basic notions in science, uh, scientists, they, they, they don't really know what space is. Space. Time is a great mystery in science. We don't, we have a hard time defining time. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, well, if science says it, then let me torture it into Torah. I wouldn't do that either. But you know, science has something, I'll reckon with it, just like anyone else. And if there's, um, if there's, if the measure says something about it, and it's similar, I say, wow, that's really interesting. And maybe, you know, I can become extra uh, inspired by the knowledge, but I'm not so, I'm not so incredibly blown away by what scientists discover. We knew the world was round in the times of the Gemara. The Gemara speaks about the roundness of the world and so on. We're not, it, uh, science has never shaken uh, shake the foundation of Judaism and it still won't.
1: Very the great class. Okay, we have so much more to cover over here. Uh, where is he? Okay, let's go. Let's go to the next live question. A lot to cover, a lot of questions. Okay, you're on.
4: What? I uh, have Take my question. I man. just told regarding to the science, what you I saw last week in the they gave outly a one um, like, that teaches how to learn Gomorrah. And over there it says that when you see that this, the Gomorrah says is different than what we know, coming to teach us science. It's something the Gemuda wants to teach us that they mentioned the signs. So if it's contradicting, it's not necessarily the Gemara wants to teach us the actual signs. So it may be contradicting. That's the uh, idea.
2: Okay. So the, 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 I, if I understand your point correctly, because it was a little bit choppy. Okay,
1: let's, um, let's try to clarify it so people could understand, because I had a hard time. Maybe you can clarify it.
2: Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. There, Yeah. I, you you want to try see if you have a better connection? Should I try to? parrot what you said, I try to parrot. Little... You, uh, yeah. OK, you said, Okay. Let, 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 let's try if, if it's in the ballpark, just uh, give me the benefit of the doubt. OK, so if um, uh, you, you had learned uh, or you were learning or you've seen the Gemaras in the Yeshiva where they said if there is uh, something that the Gemara says it seems to contradict science, it's trying to tell us something. Uh, it sounds like wow. Maybe that's an excuse. Maybe it's just contradicting science. So uh, there are there are two two major points to bring out about when Chazal say something. Point number one is that there's absolutely no question that Chazal in the Gemara speak uh, bederach remes. There's no question about it. And when they say certain things, whether it's about shadim or whether it's about um, uh, the strength of certain people, or so on. There are tremendous lessons to be learned. There's a uh, a very good book uh, called "The Juggler and the King." It's just sort of a uh, a way of sort of opening your mind to how deep uh, the uh, Gemara is. Uh, I, I I would tell you that it's brought down that anyone who was, in the, who was li- mentioned in the Gemara was able to do t'chiyas amesim. so these are not lightweights these are very 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 big people and when they said certain things uh, certain things had to be understood in context and they were teaching it to their Talmidim and those Talmidim taught it to other Talmidim and they had a tremendous amount of knowledge um, there's um, the famous story of the Ragachavar. And the Raga was, um, there's there a Gemara. I'm going to get to the Gemara. If you could solve my question, I'll take your clothing to the bathhouse. Right? Famous Gemara and the Babas. And the, the Raga Chavar, for three days, he poured over that Gemara. And then he says, I'm going to, I figured out an answer you have to take. You have to hold my clothing and take me to the bathhouse. Bath and this particular um, Moira came to him in a dream and said, First of all, it's a chutzpah for you to speak like this to me. I'm much older than you, about 2,000 years or so. Secondly, ragachover, and we understand the ragachover was the consummate genius. And when we say genius in, in, um, in the secular world, so at least recently, well, we'll say Einstein or maybe Leonardo da Vinci if we go f- further back. When we say genius in the Jewish world, so we say Ragechever or we say Reb Chaim Disk, and Diskin, Vilnigam. These are the greatest minds that we know of. And this Amory sat to him in a dream, number one, it's a chutzpah for you to speak to me like this. And secondly, I want to tell you that the answer that you gave was actually offered in Beis Magish by the least of my Talmudim and was considered such a weak answer that we didn't even mention, it's not even mentioned in the Gemara. And this is the ragged Shavar spending three days trying to figure out an answer. So point number one is that things are written in a very deep esoteric way and we have to give our, uh, uh, our Chachamim, especially those who came... Uh, and the earlier there's that of the doubt. The second point is that there were certainly certain things uh, that were mentioned based on the signs of the day that were inaccurate, that the Chachamim had to give their on. They had to say, based on what we understand, uh, this is what you should do. And uh, when the signs change, when the signs changes, so then, uh, the, what the psak is uh, can change as well. But those, again, you need a post-sik, and there are examples. This was a very, very big topic uh, to to get into, but just there are certain things that uh, the Chachamim knew. There's a Big Mac in the Rishonim whether uh, the Chachamim uh, totally understood all the sciences or whether there were certain things in science where they gave the psak just based on what the science of the day said. OK, so um, those are two approaches. And uh, I agree with this yeshiva. They said there are Muslim ideas. It could either be that the science the are the, the world's understanding of the science has changed. Or the answer is given to their premise. That, that would be uh, both valid ways of approaching that question. Hey,
1: okay, Murray, the class, go. let's go to the next live
4: question. You're on. Hi, David let Hi. So this is like a, a really um, just kind of getting away from the scientific and, and that type of thing. It's really kind of like a moral question about about the Yiddish. Uh, it's a question that I had for a long time and discussed with many people. Like I never really got a clear answer. I'd love to hear your perspective. So <clears throat> it has to do with um, Amalek. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have a mitzvah of destroying Amalek and you know, to today's day and age, it's not, we don't know, and it's not irrelevant. It's not, you know, but in, in theory, this is a part of our Yiddish guide that we have a bit sort of destroying man, woman, child, animal that belongs to a Malik. So, um, you know, one question I pose to people is, if you knew who a Malik was, would you, you know, just that this, this baby was a Malik, would you kill the baby? And I, I usually get, you know, of course, of course I would do my best to kill the baby. And I'm like, Okay, I'm not, you know, let's get another friend, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I don't know, just morally, it's like, how do you kill, you know, yeah, I understand that Shem said, kill Amali, kill Amali, kill the babies, and like, you know, it just, it just seems, and I kind of also look at it from a ter- terrorist perspective, like, you know, how are Jews not the same as uh, other, you know, whatever religion terrorists that, you know, have a belief that this is what, you know, let's say some terrorists believe that they have to kill every single Jew, so they're the same, we're the same as them. Just we believe that we have to kill every single Maliki person and they believe it has to be every single Jew. Like how are we any better than them? That's more or less my, my question.
2: Okay, so um, th- there, are, there are a few good things to say about this and uh, it's a very well-known question. It's actually one of those questions that people, uh, I'm not saying you, but the people who struggle with this is the yeah, Malik questions, like one of the two biggies. What do you do about a Malik? Um Let's add, first off, just let's just make it clear. You see, a baby al you would not kill, him. that's not the halacha. okay. That's not the halacha. today.
4: We don't kill, uh, no, no, I, because we don't know. But if we did, no, no, even
2: gonna... even even if we did know, that's not no. the halacha. you don't have to be under a certain malchus. It, it doesn't work like that. It's interesting. Many years ago, I went on a tour in Eretz Israel with uh, Pesach Levi remember when an old tour guide in there, it's all things and uh, i remember we passed a certain place he said these people there, is a sort that they came from mama like we passed like okay okay everyone let's grab a 22 and uh, let's do our thing uh no the the truth of the matter is that this question sounds very severe but it's actually a little bit less severe than you think uh, killing a baby is it ever justified to kill a baby so Let's, let's take what's considered today. 9-11 protocol. Okay. I've got an airplane and the airplane is flying and we understand, God forbid another 9-11 and this airplane is going to, um, you know, maybe there's the super bowl going on and you've got hundred thousand people or 80,000 people in the stadium. And this 747 is going to plow into the stadium and tens of thousands of people will be killed, or maybe it's going to hit the president, right? Uh, Do you shoot down, or it's going over the capital? do you shoot down the plane? And the answer is yes, you do. That is the protocol, you do shoot down. Morally, how can you, there's going to be kids on the plane, I can prove it to you, I'll show you the passenger list. There were, you know, there's 40 children on the plane, how could you? The answer is we understand when a certain uh, amount of harm or evil exists, uh, even killing children, uh, exists in the rational world, in the moral world. I'll give you another example of it. Uh, we just had a horrific, uh, experience with COVID, but you know that the experience could have been far, far, far worse, uh, far worse. Uh, we've had, you know, whatever it is, five, 6 million people die from COVID, which is, uh, which will, it'll go down in history as a pandemic. But, uh, A rather small percentage of people who got COVID died from it. And it very easily could have been A, more contagious, and B, it could have been more virulent in a way that uh, people who got it, uh, who got that infection, uh, it could have been like Ebola, it could have been even like uh, the rabies virus which kills 100% of the people who don't quickly get a, who don't quickly uh, get the the rabies cure it kills 100% of the people no one can survive rabies so uh, the fact that it killed a very small percentage in a certain way i know it sounds strange to say this but we were fortunate because it could have been much worse now imagine that it actually is much worse imagine there's a city or you know, a city, medium-sized, small village, and there's an outbreak, and the outbreak has been proven to be the kind of virus, like an Ebola virus, or even worse, where a it is well, Ebola is not airborne, as far as we know, but imagine something that's like completely airborne, and uh, and and uh, incredibly deadly. Uh, the the mortality rate is is sky high. What's the protocol? anyone know the protocol is you decimate the city you decimate the city no one will get out of the city uh they bomb the city that's the protocol and it's horrible to think about it but it's even more horrible to think if they can if it could be contained and it gets beyond the city uh and it's as deadly, deadly as it is then uh You could have fatalities in the tens or hundreds of millions. It's horrific. So that's another example of when there is harm or evil that even children be killed. So the real question is not how could children die. The real question is, do we understand the evil of Amalek? Do we understand when Hashem says that my kisei, my throne, is not complete, when there's an entity, when there's a virus called Amalek, that will infect the world to the point that it will create the next Hitler. It will create uh, it will create uh, a, a, um, a a a a um, evil that can't be contained and that will spread across the globe. It will be so bad that any chance that we had of bringing godliness and civility and morality and goodness in the world will be not just cut short, but it will be ended through this entity called Amalek. If that's what they are, if they're the very personification of evil, then the the moral question of how can you kill someone who's nine, but I can kill someone who's 19, but not when they're nine, because they, that's 10 years, nine to 19. The answer is that the Torah is teaching us there is a tremendous evil in the world called Amalek. Now, really it's a deeper answer than this because while killing Amalek is a mitzvah, much more so than the mitzvah of killing Amalek is the idea that an Amalek exists and the idea that Amalek must be vanquished. I hear what I'm saying, it's a little bit of a deeper idea. A Amalek represents something that has stuck with the Jewish people for thousands of years, even when we didn't lay a finger on a Amalek. It represents, for example, the concept of Asher Karcha Baderech, somebody who takes inspiration and squashes it, crushes it, and doesn't allow anyone to grow or develop. It, it, it stands for somebody who will go toe-to-toe with God, and even though they know that they'll lose, it's worth it because they can get everyone to, to turn over to a dark side. And the idea of Amalek is so strong that even without Amalek, we're stomping every year, and we listen, and we can't miss one word of Amalek because there's an idea of Amalek. And to, to really appreciate this, all you need to do is think of the idea of Ben Mara. It's the same, the idea that same such, question, yeah. it's the same question, but it's the same answer. We're not going around killing kids. The idea that if you do A, it'll lead to B, and when you see a child having certain tendencies, you have to pay attention. Your, your flag has to be raised. You have to take action. That was the lesson. And I want to tell you, Shmuley, this one idea is such an important idea. It answers another tremendous question. And it answers the question of Chil Shabbos. You know, if somebody's Mechal Shabbos, they're Chai Misa. But we don't go around killing people to turn on lights. And it's so hard to get Misa, even when there was a Sanhedrin, they would be considered a bezdem katlanus if they killed someone within seven or seventy years. So why would you ever have a chiyuv misa when it's so hard? I mean, according to Rabbi Akiva and others, you have to make sure that there's hasra. There has to be a warning. And the Hasra has to have them and the them can't be related. And it has to be, the Hasra, the warning has to be, uh, they have to say what the death penalty is gonna be. And, you have to res- and they have to respond, be I'm gonna do this. And then they have to do the action, Toch Dibur. It's impossible to get the death penalty. So why devote attention to giving a death penalty that you can't get? And the answer is, it's a beautiful answer. It's the same answer. It's not the death penalty that Judaism focuses on. It's the idea that Hashem cares so much about Shabbos that were all your ducks to be in a row, if, all, if everything lined up properly, Hashem would say, you forfeited your life because you broke Shabbos? That is the deterrence. The deterrence is not because you're going to die. The deterrence is, wow, that means a lot to Hashem. That alone is the deterrence. So, very often in Torah, we'll have a we'll have a halacha, and the halacha is there not because we want you to take action, but we want you to learn a lesson. Isheshev is a lesson. When's the last time you you know you took an isheshev? Yeah? There are lessons here and that's where the Torah is coming from. So Amalek is in that category. Yes, when the time is right, Alch, go destroy them. If not, you're going to have Haman, and you may lose the entire Jewish people. But we're not a bloodthirsty people. As a matter of fact, you have to go back thousands of years, thousands of years, to find a single war that the Jewish people fought as a warrior nation. We're literally the most peaceful people to Ever stepped foot on the face of the earth us and maybe the Mormons I don't know <laughs> we're just no it's us like nobody like we say shalom for everybody. shalom is Hashem's name like we want peace we don't go around killing so it's the deterrent just the idea that an absolute evil exists many years ago George Bush Jr got up and he said, there's such a thing called the axis of evil. Three nations that are evil. And he said, they're North Korea, Iraq, and Iran. And the liberals in the world, they jumped to their feet and said, how can you call something evil? How evil doesn't exist? And we as Jews say, you're wrong. There is such a thing called evil. Oihaveh Hashem sinura. Loving Hashem means I, I can identify and I'm repulsed when I see somebody that's evil, when I see uh, travesty, when I see cruelty. If it doesn't bother me, then I I'm, I don't love God. That's how it is. So I think, again, I don't know if you're going to have that talk with your kids, because this is really about kids. Are you going to speak to your kids about a monk? But if somebody, you know, you said this bothered you, if it bothered you, understand it fits within a category of mitzvahs that are there to teach important lessons and ideals. Very good. Did that answer yes. okay, good.
0: It, is, it is very deep. And uh, I'm sure you can talk about this in hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. But there is another question that came in. Interesting one. When, when these tough questions come up, talking about Hashem and creating the world and and many maybe can't answer uh, many grew up with the idea that we have a of It's not like, let's try to figure it out and, and you have to have answers for everything. We grow up with knowing that this is what we got off by the Seder. This is what we picked up from our grandparents and we stick to it and we continue and that's it. Why are we letting our kids ask so many questions? So what are we going to answer to that when people say why can't we just continue with Amunapshuta?
2: What a great question. What a I'd love to go back to the Amunapshuta days. That would be like, ah, the Shtetl. I just go and I daven, and I say my tehillim. The truth of the matter is we all have Amunapshuta in our own unique way. Someone said to me, Rabbi. Hasidim do it wrong. What do they do? They date one time and it's not even a date and they don't uh, know each other. And how could they get married to somebody they don't know? So I said to them, well, what, what, what do we do? I'm not Hasidic. They said, well, what do you do, Rabbi? I said, well, I, um, I I said, you know, I'm Litvish and my rabbis have taught that, you know, we go out a good 8, 10, 12, 14 times like, we get to know them. We spaced it out. You know, we we're serious daters. We check them out beforehand. And he said to me, Rabbi, that's not enough. I said, so you tell me how many times you got a date? He said, I would say a year. I said, a year? You got to get to know the person. I said, great. But you know what someone else is going to tell you? Why a year? I think it takes three years. And you know what someone else is going to tell them? Why three years? I think it takes a decade, and another person will like, say, I think you'll never get to know somebody, so you should never get married. Who is right? The answer is, there is no right, meaning, how long does it t- get take to get to know somebody? It takes as long as it takes. Now, you should have Monhegem. I have my rabbis, and they tell me, Look, this should be your goal, and by this amount, these amount of dates, you should know this information. But in that same vein, somebody also said to me, I don't know, people go to the Isha Torah, and they go and they have, a, a, you know, after a few weeks, they're putting on tefillin, they're all devout. What are the brainwashes, a few weeks, that's too quick. And I said to them the same thing, how long should it take? I, said, I don't know, six months. I said, why six months? Why not a year? The real answer is, we all have a threshold of proof that we need to engage. We all, you have, I have, we all have a certain amount of information that we need in order to say, I'm in. And I cannot tell you what that threshold is, nor should you tell me. So what is a Munapshuta? Did everyone just do, no, they turn off their brains totally completely? No, they didn't. They had, they had their questions. The Rambam asked very difficult questions. More Navukham was written for those reasons. And Munabshuta, it, it may have existed, but if you look at the 19 letters by Rabbi Shanshan Falarish, apparently these questions were asked. We all have the threshold of information that we need to say, I'm in. Are we going to know everything? No. If I turn to you and say, wow, You turn off your brain. You have a munapshuta. I'm a thinking person. To me, I have to think about it much more. I have to learn the science. I have to learn the psychology. I have to learn the history. So I would turn to that person and say, oh, but are you in? Yeah. You think you know science? Let's have a talk. You think you know history? Let's have a talk. So we each have our threshold. So I think the question of, oh, well, in those days, it was a munapshuta. And today we're complicated. It's not really like that. It's true, there are more questions being asked. Uh, there's no question that computers and Google and the accessibility to information have brought more issues to the fore. There's no question about that. Uh, they didn't ask those questions in those days because there was no internet. You know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates didn't exist in those days. Uh, so they read what they read and they knew what they knew and they felt confident and comfortable. You know, I, you know, I grew up, I saw Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof was Shalom Aleichem. You a little bit of an the himself. But there's a little part over there where he's, uh, why do we do this? I don't know. Uh, God wants me to, I don't know. And that became a little bit of a stereotype for religious Jews. And unfortunately, reformed and conservative, my students, they think that that's how we are. We're all tavium, the milkmen. I don't know, I guess so, I don't know. Uh, that's are, are we afraid to ask questions? Do we not have the manajtana? Do we not have eons and sarchirn guddles? Do we not? Do our kids not get rewarded for asking questions? You know, the principal in the previous question aside, right? We all get questions. So, I would say, yeah, it was a simpler time and there was less access to information, but. We shouldn't judge people on what the threshold they need because we all have a different threshold. And uh, there will always be someone who says, you yeah, haven't learned enough. At a certain point, we have to buy in or not buy in, but we have to we have to make our move. Not deciding is also a decision. Doing nothing is also a decision. I wanna give one more example of this. I think you'll enjoy when we play the game of soccer. The game, the, the game is not to find the ball. The game is to hit the ball into the net. And if you spend the whole game looking for the ball, at what point are you kicking the ball in the net? Our goal in life is not to find truth. It's to live up to truth. But we have to find truth. We'll continue to search for truth. But the goal is not, oh, I have questions. I have questions. The goal is to find what you need so that you can begin living up to the truth. Well, what does it mean to feel it? What does it mean, Sadaka? What does it mean to keep it off the aim? The goal is to live up to truth, not to look for the bull. That's not the game. To find the truth, and then we're challenged to live up to it.
1: Hey, Reverend Glasko, it's time for the million-dollar question. You ready? Yeah. The million-dollar okay. question. Beginning this year, somebody texted it, but it's, I have a bunch of questions. They're all the same. As a teenage girl, she texted, why does Hashem create so much pain and suffering in the world? But I'll read mm-hmm. a few questions that go with it. Let me let me just read a few questions. Okay. I have a sick child. I suffered a lot, tremendously through life. I think I'm a good person. I feel like I need to know why bad things happen to me. Tzadik, Veraloy, You know, How do we deal with that question when a child turns to us and turns to us and says... Why is God doing this to us? Why am I suffering? Why is there so much pain in the world? And uh, the person who asked it is on. So I'm sure you get this question. It's a pretty powerful question.
2: Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. And, and um, I, I'm actually convinced that everyone here has heard multiple lectures on this subject. Uh, so it, I, I don't think I have to reinvent the wheel over here. But I do want to give you an approach uh, because we are speaking about how to how to speak to your children about pain. And uh, it's true, as you know, we, we all have a child inside of us. We all do. We all need love. We all need comfort. We all need understanding. There is a, ch- there is that little child inside of us that just needs a hug. So sometimes it gets, sometimes it doesn't. But when our children feel pain, uh, and they need a way of approaching it, uh, we we have a tremendous approach. The approach comes. You know, and I, I would mention you know my parents lost a lost a child, uh, my brother Gabriel, and really one of the one of the most uh, I I would say moving moments of the in, entire tragedy was when my father got up at the Lavaya. The Levaya happened in Eretz Israel on the Arza campus. And my father got up and he, he said with a a resoluteness that looked like a like a soldier, like, a, like an all-for-the-boss or Yaakov Yosef Herman kind of soldier. He said, Hashem the Vashem Lakach Hashem And then afterwards the tears began. And I've heard this. I mean, my father's actually watching this, but I have replayed this many, many times. And I've learned uh, uh, gemaras from it. I've learned gemaras from that because the natural reaction of a child losing, a parent losing a child is losing it. The tears, they're like, why? Why God? And to be able to stand up and say with... uh, With a a certainty, not just for yourself, but to everyone around who is mourning, Hashem Nassan, Hashem Lakach, Hashem Hashem Maborach, was, uh, it was a a lifelong lesson. Rabbi Klasko, do you mind just
1: touching it for people that did
2: not know, those words? Sure. Hashem Nassan, God has given, Hashem Lakach, God has taken away, Yishem Hashem Maborach, the name of God is blessed. And the the point of this, of us saying this, we've learned this from Aaron HaKohen, Aaron the prophet, uh, Aaron the priest, where he lost two children. And these were tremendous children. They they were wise beyond. They were going to be the next leaders of the Jewish people. And they died very tragically, very suddenly. And they were tremendous tzaddikim. The rabbis in Erevin struggled to figure out what did they do wrong? It was, it's so difficult to understand what they did wrong. And Aaron HaKohen, his reaction was Vayidom Aaron. And Aaron was silent. And we learn from here that while it's true that there are approaches to tragedy, and there are approaches. There are five major approaches. I, I, I may even do it in a like a, in the sixty-second version after this. But I don't want the approaches to be the answer. And th- there's two reasons that I don't think approaches are the right answer. Number one, because uh, we are emotional beings, and logical approaches don't really heal they don't heal um not the way they they should and sometimes uh, silence and being with their being with the person in pain is the approach not just giving logical answers and number two uh we we don't know which approach hashem used was it approach number one three maybe it was four and five together so our our response is to be there with for the person in silence The Gemara says the reward for going to the house of a mourner is silence. And and it's hard, especially if you're a social person and you go to a shiva house and you want to chat up the person and there's like the silence and the person's sad, so you want to like break the ice and sometimes it is appropriate to, to speak. But the reward, the Gemara says, the reward, which means the virtuous approach, is to, to be a listener. For the lady who asked the question, I have a sick child. What can be more painful than a person's child who we love more than ourselves without a doubt? to see them suffer, to see them in pain. Nothing. There's nothing. Nothing could be more painful than to see a child suffer. What can you say that can justify God to a mother who's in pain? Shtikusa. Silence. Say, I don't know. I don't understand. But I'm there for you. Now, it doesn't mean that Judaism doesn't have an approach. Um, w- let me, uh, how much time do we have? I just want to pace myself.
1: We have, um, as much time as you need for our class though.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, no one should feel captive over here.
1: Well, we're, uh, not, we're not paying you double time. I'm just you
2: know. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll still try to squeeze it in first. Yeah, no, uh, the door. Yeah. First off, the question of why do bad things happen to good people is an interesting question. It's a question that's asked very often, but like many questions, and I'm gonna get a little, uh, a little philosophical over here. Like many questions, there's baggage in the question. There is context in the question that's not spoken out, but that's assumed. And very often when we hear questions, it's really good to listen closely for the assumed, what I call the parentheses of the question. Let me give you an example of parentheses in a question. When my child says to me, oh, it's Colomboid. Why can't we go to, a, to an amusement park? It's Colomboid. Why can't we go? So what is assumed in that question? My child is assuming a whole litany of things. Let's let's name them. Number one, you're assuming I can afford it. Number two, you're assuming I'm your father. That's already an assumption based on our history. Number three, you're assuming that I love you. Number four, you're assuming that Chalmoyd is the time for trips, or maybe that's been your experience. And in the context of this question, it's not like, why can't we go to an amusement park Chalmoyd? It's since you're my dad and you love me and you can afford it, and I know you want to make me happy, and this is what would make me happy, can we go? So without those assumptions, the question makes very little sense. For example, if I went over to a stranger and I said, why can't you take me to the amusement park of Chalamoid? The stranger would look at me like, why should I, who are you? Why should I take you? Because there's that context. No, because you're my dad and you love me. And I know you can, right? All that context exists. Okay. If we agree that questions have context, listen carefully, because this is really wonderful. Why do bad things happen to good people? Is never really the question, because if that was the question, then the answer would be simple. Because the world is chaos. Why do bad things happen? Because the world is chaos. So the world is random. Or tragedy happens. The world is, is, is chaotic. So what's the parentheses? The parentheses is not why do bad uh, why do bad things happen to good people, but uh, why. Does God, why does Hashem let bad things happen to good people? That's really the question. Not why do bad things happen, but why does Hashem let bad things happen to good people? But that's not really the question. The question really is more parentheses. Why can't I understand why Hashem lets bad things happen to good people? So now all of a sudden, this question becomes a much longer question, but we're not not done yet with the question. Follow. We're almost done. What if you and I disagree with the definition of Hashem? In other words, I'm assuming Hashem is uh, means God can do everything. God knows everything. What if your definition of Hashem is he doesn't know everything? So then your question is answered. Why does God, let? why can't I understand why? Well, because God didn't know about the bad thing or God is powerless to change it. So the question only makes sense if we agree on the definition of God that he can do everything, he knows everything. Almost done, one more thing needs definition. Why can't I understand who am I? Well, definition of I is I'm immortal. Um, I'm very limited. I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. I certainly don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, Yeah, I'm a very limited person, and I don't have much power, nor do I have much knowledge. I have very mortal knowledge, very little amount. So now, here's the whole question. Listen carefully, because I guess, why can't I, who are mortal and don't know all that much, understand why Hashem, who is all-knowing and all-powerful, does what he does? And then you just answered your question. The question just disappeared because I don't know much. And God, by his definition, knows everything. When somebody knows everything, the way that they act, the way that they function is totally different. The question is a nonsensical question. It's almost like me saying, why can't I understand physics like Albert Einstein? The answer is simple because he's Einstein. He's smarter than me. And he studied physics for 50 years I'm not as smart and I never studied physics. So that's the answer. So within the question, we have the answer. Hashem, by his very definition, uh, is kol uh, there are There are approaches, and I'm going to give you the 60-second approaches, why bad things happen. Either A, we don't understand what a bad thing is. We know this for a fact. Sometimes things seem bad and they evolve into becoming something spectacular. To good people, sometimes we don't know what a good person is, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately with the uh, spread of the internet, uh, we have learned all sorts of people who we thought were marvelous, and they're not quite what they purported to be. So I don't know what bad is necessarily. I don't know what good necessarily is. The third answer is Hashem gives us uh, nisionos, uh which are often uh, function as either tests or yesurim which means they they're chastisements in order for us to get certain kaparas uh no, answer number four is uh judaism believes in a concept called gilgulim, which is a reincarnation you may have been here before so sometimes we need a kapara for a previous uh for a previous um uh, thing that we've done and answer number five is the e answer which is sometimes Hashem does something to one person because there's a a greater effect that's needed. And that's how Hashem answered EOV. So these are five approaches. What's bad, what's good. Uh, Yisurim, uh, which is chastisements or anishionos tests to allow us to grow. Gilgulim, or the EOV answer for the greater good. These are very legitimate Torah approaches, but they're not the approaches that I give somebody in pain because I don't know if it's one, two, four, five, all the above, maybe an answer that we don't know. So we keep silent. We're humble. We humble ourselves in front of Hashem. And we learned that from Arna Cohen. So that was a little bit of a longer answer than I usually give, but the subject itself deserves volumes. So I hope I did justice to it in a short amount of time.
0: A lot of of knowledge. And uh, like you said, It's important to know when to come up with the knowledge or when to be quiet. And that's a heavy one. I want to take it to another powerful question. I think we need to bring it up. Discussing tough questions with with younger children, you know, teenagers, in in their eyes, they feel sometimes restricted. They look at the world. It's such a beautiful world, big world. There's so much out there. They can do so much. Why can't they? have a good time and just do what all, what everybody's doing. Why can't we, why are you putting, you know, cutting us off, we have to learn and we have to, you're not allowed to do this, I'll do that. Why can't they just be like everybody else? And then, you know, giving them an answer for this, it can be a hard one. You know, what's under this question?
2: Very, very, very good question. And I, li- I like that you put what's under this question because the reality is this one question can be asked in 10,000 different ways. 10,000 ways, but they're all asking the same thing. I look around, everyone's having fun. You don't let me have a smartphone. You don't let me uh, go around uh, to, um, you know, you don't want me, you don't want me to TV, Everybody watches movies, everybody this, everybody
1: that. Everybody, everybody goes trips. Everybody goes to Florida every day. Everybody has unlimited money. Everybody I'm not gets- even talking
0: about the Eden. I'm not talking about the Eden, but they're going to do it. Why can't they do what they're doing? Right. So
2: the, the answer is not maybe what you would think it would be. Uh, the answer is that everyone doesn't have every bit of fun that exists on the planet. You're going skiing or you're going skydiving, you're going snorkeling or you're seeing a movie. Uh, we call that sushi or steak. That's the expression, right? you go going to the restaurant, you're having a choice. So you turn to your wife. Okay. Tonight sushi or steak, right? Uh, there, we understand and a child can understand that just like the child can't get every game that they want and the cha- child can't travel or at least not, uh, not uh, with your visa, they can't travel to, uh, every country in the world. Uh, A child understands there are limitations. But the truth of the matter is a child is really saying like this. I am not finding my Judaism fun. And I'm a child. And I want to have fun. And I see other people laughing and joking and having a fun time and being able to do this and that. But I'm not having fun. So I want to do what they're doing. Well, the truth of the matter is you know you ask any teacher in public school are all kids in the secular world are they all are they all emotionally healthy and emotionally sound and no one's suffering from anxiety no one has depression no one commits suicide that's ridiculous um, it is not uh the the movie that gives them the fun it is something else something else and what it is is the parents or the people who are able to surround this child and nurture the child are able to give the child love and fulfillment in whatever lifestyle they are brought up in. And a Jewish person should and must be able to give their child a lifestyle that is fun and fulfilling and wonderful and gishmak. And not what you think is geschmack, but what the child thinks is geschmack. What does a child think is geschmack? So here's the answer. A child thinks instant pleasure is geschmack. The quicker I get the candy or the sushi or the Slurpee, the quicker I get what I want, uh, the funner life is. You see, uh, instant gratification is the highlight of a kid. You ever had a kid work for you or do babysitting your 10, 11 year old and you paid him a few bucks? Did they save those few bucks? No, they went running out and spending it. Why? Because children have that instant gratification desire. When we become older, we say, you know what? Wait, wait, You hold on to your money, save it. You're gonna have a much better time if you could buy a car than if you keep spending it on small things. We learn to control our uh, pleasure now for much greater pleasure later. That's what adults do. But an adult has a child inside of him that never disappeared, and the ten-year-old that's inside of you that wants it, that wants it now, lives on, and that's your struggle. It's always going to be your struggle. The child in you that wants it now. Versus the adult that says, wait, 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 you have a good davening, you have a good learning, you'll feel so good about yourself, you feel connected to Hashem. The thing is, instant gratification has a name. It's called Yitzhahara. Yitzhahara is not bad. Yitzhahara is not bad. You know how I know it's not bad, bad, bad? Because Chazal tells us, ramen urav, children are born with a Yitzhahara. So one second, does that mean all children are evil? They only seem that way sometimes. But they're not really evil. They're kids. They just want to have fun. So a child has a sahara. When we become older, we get a Yitzhah And a Yitzhah is long-term enjoyment, long-term satisfaction. So a child is the sahara, the instant. and The adult gets the Yitzhah Tov. So, if a child wants to be happy right now because his Yetzar says, I want it right now, then for us to produce a Judaism that can cater to his Yetzarah is for us to be able to keep our children within the fold. And how do we do that? Well, what things are Mutter that are Geschmack for kids? And that's the challenge. Watching a movie, not okay. Taking the kid out bowling, yeah, okay. So don't be too tired. Take the kid bowling. You right. Whatever your ashkafa is, you've got to make the chai, you've got to make a Kashmak. I'll, I'll share with you a little bit in our Shabbos home. So you mentioned we have a lot of people. It's true. We have a lot of people. But I, after the meal, sometimes I'll stay and I'll schmooze, But most often I'll say goodbye to my guests. They'll, they're all sleeping over. They'll stay up and schmooze. I tell my kids, no, they come to my bedroom, and they come, and they play, and they jump on the bed, and they tell each other stories, and they make plays, and it's special time with Tati and mommy, because I want them to enjoy Shabbos. I want them to look forward. Yes, and I have a teenage son who likes tongue. I know this sounds very extravagant, but every Shabbos, my wife goes and buys them an tongue, and that's it. And you know what? For the child inside of you that may like a, a cup of a good scotch, get a good scotch. The child in you wants to enjoy Shabbos. It's not evil to enjoy a challenge. It's wonderful because the child in you needs catering as well. The child, we have to be able to make Yiddishkeit Schmack. And you know how I know this? This is going to blow you away if you're still listening. Ready? it says in Shema. The Ahavtah Sashem, Lekacha Wives have two bases. It should say, Bachal Lebecha. Say Chazal. You shall love Hashem. Bachal Levavcha. Bishne Yitzrecha. The Yitzhatov of the Yitzahara. Now that we know the Yitzhatov is not the little evil demon that's sitting with a pitchfork and the horns all red with a tail, but the Yitzahara is really the child. And Hashem says, Love me with the child in you as well as the adult. There's a child in you that wants to enjoy Yiddishkeit right now. So if you give a child a clap because he doesn't have his finger on the place, you've killed the child. The best thing you could do for your children in Yiddishkeit is to put the spotlight on them and give them... Incentives, some of you know our family does music now. We started doing music, we put out many albums. You know why we did that? Because it was COVID and I had a tremendous, I I composed music when I was young. I had an opportunity and my kids, I want to put them in the spotlight. I want them to shine, I want them to feel good because when the children have a good self-esteem, I have a healthy child. And when I destroy the child because I want to keep the child in line and I go, no, 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 when the child is not looking in the sitter, I killed my child. And who's going to repair my child after me? Who's going to make him love Yiddishkeit when I made him hate it? So it's not the video game the kid needs. He needs the instant, wonderful enjoyment that Yiddishkeit can offer, but we have to be smart about it. How do we give it to our kids? You know, Erev Pesach, you know what I do with my kids? We go out together and we go wine shopping. And the older kids get $25 and the younger kids get $15. And I say, Arbicosas, buy your own wine. What do you want? And the kids, they're like, okay, I'm going to get the blue bottle, the Bartanura. The older kids, oh, I like dry wine. You don't like it, but you, you got to be sophisticated. And they buy their wines and they put their names on their wines and they have it hidden so the guests don't steal their wines. Because yes, it's your Seder. It's your, it's, it's your Yanto they all get aman presents not because I'm a rich guy, I'm not. but I want them to enjoy. Let them enjoy. I, I go out of my way you know why? Because I know my kids who Hashem today are that tell me the they tell me some of the best memories we have are the trips that we went on as a family where you went out of your way to make it fun. That's for them. They don't want to be going. They know better. They just, they want their Yiddish guy to be child-friendly. Not asking that much.
1: I got a guest that came on a while ago, and he said that, he, like, talking about turning on kids Yiddish guy, he said, like, the geschmack of cleaning air of Pesach and baking matzahs, he bakes matzahs and things he does, that's like, like, people that go to hotel. he's not knocking, he's people that go to hotels, and they say, oh, here, it's all on a kid. They're missing the geschmack of the Yiddish guy by just, you know, the point is doing things together, making it, you know, inspiring them, making it fun, an instant gratification slash Jewish version of it, you know what I mean?
2: did you it, it's the same version as theirs it's just not pressing that button like, you want to you know uh, my poor kids they have to set up 60 70 places every shop is that you know i tell always tell other kids don't complain about setting the tables you see my kids you know they have to set 70 places each week so you know what they do they crank up the music some of them use they have what is it called rip sticks We've got a wooden floor and they rip ripstick around the dining room, throwing the plates and to the music and they get dancing. Kishmak. You're right. Within a Yiddish context, kishmak exists. If you say, listen, it's hard enough for us. We don't, we don't know what an eshamah looks like. We don't know what feels like. One day, one day, a kid doesn't know one day. A kid doesn't, A kid doesn't even know an hour from now
1: class. Let's cover just a little bit more because it's getting late, and I want to go to closing. Our class, I just wonder. I make a request. I don't know if it's gay or not because it just hit me. Remember the story you said about the safe tire in your house? That whole story.
2: I remember.
4: It's, it's uh, yeah.
1: if if you can somehow tie it into the tonight's show by the closing, I, I would like to hear it. Unless you have a different one, but I think it's an unbelievable story.
2: I, I'm I'm happy. To, I'm happy to tell it.
1: Uh, okay, let's go. We have a live question. Let's let's go.
0: Hop Hi.
3: Hi, okay, so I have two questions. Um, The first one is um, regarding like sticky topics that kids will ask parents about. Is it smarter for the parents to, you know, when the the typical age that these things would come about come into conversation, um, is it smarter for the parents to initiate the conversation, you know, sit them down and kind of have a talk but establish like an open forum and, you know show the kid I trust you and I'm knowledgeable and, and if you ever have any questions feel comfortable to, you know to come to me and, and and this is not bad this is just our life or whatever um, or is it better to wait until the kid you know hears it from a friend or an outside source maybe even younger than what you expected um, and sit down and establish that open forum then and the second question is a break off of that which is specifically about the whole transgender movement how to speak to a child about that
2: Wow two uh, nice heavy questions um, so yeah, I, I'll be honest. With you, I struggle with the first question because I, I don't, you know, I, all, all my kids, do I initiate? Uh, I, I will, I'll just be very blunt. I was always too late. Like the kids always, they always know the kids talk and they talk at a much younger age afterwards. They, they, they just, they, they, they talk. So uh, if you think, you know, shy initiate initiate to talk, I got to tell you, they they know already (laughs) if if they're old enough. uh, If they're old enough that you're asking, they probably know. Um, Yeah. So I, I would say, I would say that uh, I wouldn't make it a, a a big deal. Like there's a certain, there's a certain demystification. Uh, I wouldn't get a graphic, uh, but um, you know, I'll, I'll, yeah, I don't know if my parents are still on, but I'll tell you a funny story. When I was a, a yeshiva bachar, I was young, and I was a very, very good bachar. This is sort of a, an embarrassing story to say in front of four hundred people, but uh, you know, friends. So our uh, um, class it's only four
1: hundred people. Was gonna even think
2: of, It's not gonna get yeah, around. Hey, we're all you know, we're all together. So I was um, I was bachar. I, I was a serious bachar. I you know, I got olives. I was uh, you know, I uh, Um but um, I, you know, there was a, a young lady in the neighborhood and I uh, was crushing on her. You know, I like, I, like wow, this is like, she's pretty as my sister's friend. And I I didn't know what to do with those feelings. You know what I'm i was, I was uh, 14 years old and um, I finally had to say, I got to speak to my parents. And of course I wanted the safe route and decided to speak to my mom. And I called her up and I said, um, I got to speak to you about something, but you'll never guess what. Because I was a good boy. Like, she goes, um, uh, you like a girl? I'm like, oh, you guessed. And I was really, I was sort of like upset. Like she would think I'm like a girl. Like, why would you think? But that is what I want to talk about. But I was upset that she guessed it. I said, okay, but you'll you'll never guess who. What do you think? She guessed it. Like, probably this one. Like, ooh, I'm such an open book anyhow so uh, I said, like what do I do with this she said um, you know maybe I'll have your, your father speak to you which uh, which is not the route I was I was uh, going for and we did end up speaking uh, you know a very short time later and it was a, it was a very interesting conversation we were driving at he went to buy me a hat I a new hat. we're driving back and he says uh, in a very casual way, So uh, I understand you like a girl. I'm like, yeah, that was very, very like cut to the point. He, I said, yeah, that's true. He goes, very natural. You're a guy, natural. I said, so what do I do with it? He said, I'll tell you something. He said, I'll tell you something really important. He said, in life, you get what you deserve. So you want to get a good girl, be a good guy. You want to get a girl who will appreciate a Talmud Chachem? Be a Talmud Chachem. I said, you want to have options? Then go and be the best person that you can be. And then you'll have options. It was magic. It it was exactly what my 14-year-old ears needed to hear. It was exactly what it needed. Because now I have some direction. And here I am, I'm 53 years old, I, I still remember that conversation when I was 14, and it guided me to how I wanted to be as a bacher. So instead of obsessing about this person or about uh, the opposite gender in general, because I was yeshiva bacher, was a good yeshiva, it gave me motivation, like be the best person you could be. Uh, and interestingly enough, I ended up having the same conversation with one of my kids, Almost identical, and I said to my child the same thing my father told me, and that child said, "Wow, that really helped." I want, I want a good guy. I'm going to be a good girl. I want, I want, I want a guy who would want the kind of girl that I want to be. So it's direction. I didn't beat around the bush. I didn't try not to talk about it, but I didn't make like, oh, um, if they want to know more things. So you could say, look, there are, there's a concept called Slius, and there are certain things we speak about, uh, and I would, I'll tell you sort of the, the minimum if you've already heard, but as you get older, I'd be glad to share with you more detail, but it's not a good thing. For someone your age to uh, uh, obsess or think about it, it's one of the reasons we don't expose ourselves to it. Because uh, the way the way nature is, the more we think about something or we obsess about it, uh, the more we want it, and the more used to uh, used to it uh, or used to the idea it becomes. So I will speak about it, but I won't get into detail. But they'll know I'm accessible. I'm not just gonna say, "Hey, if you ever need to speak about it, here I am." Because they'll never come over. That's not how they. That's not how kids are. They'll say, "Like, oh, my father's too scared to speak to about this." Uh, I would say the transgender question. Uh, it, it's it's um. Uh, it, it is it is a very legitimate question. It's a question that even in the from community by from people, the question does come up, whether you know somebody who struggles with it, or. If it's being used as a crutch in the same way that the Amalek question people use or other questions like hey well if you love people why does Judaism say this this or that is not an okay um it, it really depends on the age of the child say so I'd love to speak to you about it you could be sure that Hashem has Rachmanes and we have Rachmanes on people who have these challenges uh but the the, the Torah has certain laws and uh, the laws mean that even with uh, Rahmanas, we have to do certain things and uh, and we, we try to be very to the point. Uh, if the child knows more, then you have to speak more about it. If the child themselves struggle, you must get your child uh, the assistance that they need. Uh, but but even now, because of the lateness of the hour, it's a big question. There are a few good books uh, about the subject. Some that speak, speak about homosexuality. Uh, transgenderism is the sort of the, uh, the soup du jour, as we say, the soup of the day. So that is brought up a lot today. Uh, but we we always speak about things with compassion, and that's really what our children want to hear. They want to hear especially if they themselves are not struggling. We say, no, we have a lot of compassion on them, and they still have a chiv to do Torah. They should still do mitzvahs, and these kind of struggles, uh, we all struggle with things, and this is their struggle, and we we love them. We love all Eden, and we try to be as, um, as honestly positive as we can be uh, again i'm picturing in my mind 14 15 16 year old if you're talking about an older child i would get uh i would get a little bit deeper into it but for a younger child that that would be my approach
1: we're ready to go to closing, but i just want to ask one general question um just ask because the person who asked to get this, to get you on the share was a teenage girl and i wanted to ask you it's a very general question and then we can go to closing we we'll maybe get that to the stories Rebecca classicalgo's amazing stories maybe a song whatever you want the question is, what do you tell teenagers the ages 14 till 18, 19, that are just not happy, sad, feel disconnected from Yiddishkeit, feel disconnected from everything, they feel lost, Hadruha, where to start, how to turn on that fire of connection to themselves, to God, to Yiddishkeit, just that, that feeling, you know, like every once in a while I get like every other day, but they have it more consistently, so how do we like what what would you say to such you not know, to such a person, such
2: a teenager? You're talking okay. to them, I, the parent. What did you say? Going to depth. You're talking okay. to them now. You're not talking to me. Okay, I'm talking to them. Okay, so I, I can't feel good about God if I don't feel good about myself. I I need to feel good about myself, and um, uh, you know, while the idea of self love could be overplayed, uh, it's a real thing. And uh, teenage years are years I never want back and I never want to go back to them. It's the, the primary reason that I pay back all my all my loans, all my debts is I don't want to come back and be a teenager again because it is it is very, very uncomfortable to be a teenager. Uh, teenagers are growing physically. They're in an awkward stage. They don't know what to do with their bodies. Their school has become fiendishly difficult. Homework is given without Rachmanis, uh, the, the the Hebrew and English, and um, then when when, when they uh, then when they come to school, they are judged, 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 everything about tests and quizzes, and you you know you take in, There's a big A, there's a big F, there's a big C. So you're judged there. You're judged when you come home, and then, and this is again, a teenage girl. Oh my goodness. One of the thing one of the reasons that I have tremendous kavana when I say shalom asana, Isha didn't make me a woman is because there's I didn't have to deal with clicks. And if you're a woman and you dealt with clicks, I have three daughters who dealt with clicks in high school. He's my friend. She's my she's my friend. She's not my friend. I can't be her friend if I'm their friend. Okay, we both share friends and now we're not speaking to each other. So it is no wonder that our kids are tortured souls. But gotta be honest, it's it it is very 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 difficult. Uh, our our job as parents is to try to make you know the the root canal as uh, as painless as possible through being encouraging, through making the. Uh, the 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 icker the icker the main thing the main thing the the and and what's tough tafel uh, I I'll even tell you something that I may get flack about but I, I'll tell to you I do not harp on my kids' grades right as long as they're not you know they're not, not failing or even if they are you know I my kid will get a shidduch whether they get a B C D they why do I have to make my kid feel like two cents because they didn't get an A I my my kids don't plan on going to Harvard, and I, and I can't afford Harvard, and I don't want them to go to a guyish school. Well, why do I have to torture my kid? I see Rabbi Menachem likes that, right? For no reason. These poor kids are they are tortured. So, on top of everything, on top of everything, we are living in an age where anxiety and even the word anxiety, which was never used when I was young. The word anxiety and, gives you anxiety. Right. It, it literally does. Like, oh, wow, this gives me anxiety. Like <laughs> a cup. Oh, this gives me. And, and it's true. And and uh, it's it's really great to learn. I'm just throwing this out there. It's great to learn how to control anxiety. It's an incredible skill to learn how to tell yourself different mantras like this is not dangerous. I'm not in danger. I'm going to be okay. This is happening. There are, there are great ways of... Uh, addressing anxiety that are really important to talk yourself off of the ledge because your heart will begin to beat and you'll fall apart. And Unfortunately, I I, I work with a lot of people who anxieties paralyzed them. So I, what I'm doing is I'm making the case for this young lady that you are not... Abnormal. You're you're the most normal thing on the planet, uh, or whoever you're referring to, uh, or whoever it is that we need to help out. A 14, 15, 16 year old who is going through stuff is normal. What's abnormal, what's a, what's freakish, is a you know your 11th grader was like yeah ra 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 ra. I right? know oh, I'm a geo. I'm this. Uh, right? That's not normal. That's 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 hard. That's that's not real life. So. The real the real question is, are there parents who know how to support their child? And here's where it really gets tough, because unfortunately, unfortunately, parents uh, have not been exposed to to this particular uh, podcast. They don't know that this resource is available. Uh, they don't know how to give their children the comfort and the self-esteem and the joy so the children suffer through uh, teenagehood and um, and it damages them. And whether it damages their Yiddishkeit or whether they toe the line and they remain Jewish but they harbor resentment or the fire has been put out. So it's not really the 14, 15-year-old that we need to address. It's the parents. And the parents have to become much, much less critical, much more loving, much more there for their kids. Uh, it's it's not uh, quality time. It's not quantity time. It's both. You need to give your kids a lot of time. And, and uh, unfortunately, if you are that younger person listening and your parents have not given you this, or if you're not so young, and your parents didn't give you didn't give you this, and you feel you feel like you've never healed from that lack of support. I feel you. I I under I, I understand that I can't understand what it is that you struggle with. All I can tell you is that if you are zocher to raise your own family and have your own children then all the things that you felt like you were missing growing up give them to your kids and 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 maybe you know n- nothing is good to the extreme but as close to the extreme as you can with the love and with the understanding and um, and with with the positive time and that's the that's the nourishment those are the vitamins so I don't have to, you know, we have to make Yiddishkeit kind of that way. No question about it, and we spoke about that before. But don't forget, you know, the parents are the most important thing in the child's life. And it's It's scary, but it's in our hands to build or destroy a neshama or many neshamas, And we have to take it very, very seriously and read books. You can read Rabbi or Rabbi Orlewick's books. He's a, a relative of, of mine. Read his books. There are many other books that are that are very 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 important to read. Be mechanech yourself. Read all the material that you can. Use what what works, and maybe uh, the uh, w- we can raise those kind of healthy children that will become healthy parents themselves, so that the cycle of uh, uh, of uh, loneliness. And depression can fade and be replaced with, uh, with the love and with the, uh, with the positivity.
0: Beautiful, Rabbi Klatsko.
1: Tonight, whoa, you hit it out of the park.
2: Too Thank much.
1: God, Thank you, Hashem. So it's amazing, Rabbi Klatsko. You ready for the for the closing? You ready for the for knocking out of the park? You have a good stories. I I
2: have, I have many. Is that the story that you want? That's, oh no, whatever whatever you want. i tell you, you
1: You choose. You choose. Let, let, me, let me let me wrap it up, and you you decide whatever. Okay. It's your, it's your share. I just want to say, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on tonight. It's a big chizik you came out I'm sorry for all the people that had questions we didn't get to, and some of the things that I wanted to cover that we didn't cover. Rebbe Klatzko, you know what that means. <laughs> 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 you got to come back, Robert Klatzko. I'm so sorry, but uh, <laughs> you didn't fill the quota. We have another 17 hours to go. So <laughs> I guess from now until LeBron, if you cover every Sunday, <laughs> we should be good. Subscribe so for coming on tonight. giving gave so much chizik, so many people here, and um, such an open conversation. Such a beautiful, beautiful conversation. I just have to say two interesting things that happened tonight while the show was happening. Somebody texted me that they never give up watching a movie tonight. They planned to watch a movie, and they turned it on, and they couldn't hang up, and they loved the share tonight. So I said, we're going to make a new subscription instead of Netflix, Burnflix. So everybody can come Sunday night to Burnflix. It's better than Netflix. Much better. Cheaper. Much cheaper, by the way. So for coming on, and also the second thing I want to say, the lady who's on now, she said that she's looking for a There's a lady that was on that that was taught by by H Kodesh, and she she's going to hook up with her. Hopefully we've each other. So a lot of shaduchim come from you know people being open and helping each other, and um, you know what I mean.
2: Hashem. I just have to read something
1: because it's so powerful. Thank you. This is probably the most powerful and healing word said tonight in the wonderful class. Many adults struggle with pain from the younger years. Thank you for understanding your support. So Murray so the Again, Rabbi Classway, thank you for coming back on. Tonight's share, again, we said is is Sadik Bays Ben and it's with Gemachia. Hashem Hashem uh, Shem Hashem you know goes with you with 92. So um it's amazing and um thank you for coming on. Again, if anyone wants to join the chats every Sunday, um I could WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Say my number and I'll send you every Sunday the flyer. And you can sign up by Menachemberfel.com. Um, and he'll send you the emails that have the shiurim and the 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 replays as well. Klatsko, if you to, I'm I'm going to read you the text, and you answer how you want to answer. Okay. Sure. So sure. like this. how do I get in touch with Rabbi Klatsko? Can I come to Rabbi Klatsko for Shabbos? Can I have Rabbi Klatsko's cell phone number? Can I have his address? So, Rabbi Klatsko, whatever information you want to share, please share, and then I'm going to continue with my speech.
2: Okay. That's um, so I I am I'm, I'm going to give my. Cell number on a condition that you have to use WhatsApp. Okay, so I know it's very dangerous, and and be patient with me. I do try to answer everything. Okay, but, listen. Worst uh,
1: case scenario, you'll have to get a new cell phone number.
2: You know, I, I I'll tell you something. I I I felt for many years uh, the job of a rabbi is to be there for people, and if you're not there for people, then what are you doing being a rabbi? People need to be able to reach you. So I'm not the people. I'm not your rabbi. I'm sure you all have your own rabbis. But it's always good to have somebody as a backup, backup, backup. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. It's a really easy number. 212 Shabbat. 212 Shabbat. That's my number. And uh, I'm happy to try to respond when I can. 212 Shabbat. That's 742-2228. And do you have
1: like email? Somebody, somebody wants to send you a question.
2: Rabbi Klatzko at Gmail. How do you spell
1: Klatsko? Klatzko?
2: K-L-A-T-Z-K-O.
1: Okay. Beautiful. So, thank you for that. And uh, again, everybody's here for the first time. Every Sunday night at nine thirty on this Zoom ID, we have different shirum topics. The only time that will not be every Sunday night will be next week, because me and Menachem are not going to be here next Sunday. So, we'll be the, for, for the first time on a Monday night, February twenty eighth. We have an amazing event, Rabbi we'll Soma Ginsburg, Chasidah that was just traveling to good friend of mine, um, and he's also actually a CEO of a publicly traded company. The guy is one in a million. Um, genius of a person. I love him very much. He's a very, very dear friend of mine from many years ago. He's going to be talking about how do we get to where we want to go. He's going to tell us the magic secrets to achieving your life goals. It should be in a powerful, deep program. Please join, tell your friends to come. Again, if it works, definitely worth it. If it doesn't work, I'm sure you're going to learn something. And again, everything tonight is recorded. It'll be available on Com around uh, 2.30 a.m. tonight on YouTube. And it'll be on his website Shem tomorrow on Com. But if anybody has any questions from Menachem or anything, please send it to coachmenachem at gmail.com. Um, if you have any uh, positive comments or anything or negative, send it. We love to hear any ideas. We're open. As you could see, we're, we're here for the people. There's no agenda. We're here just to be Chazak just like Robert Glatzko. Tonight's share again is Share 92. If you want to hear it on the phone lines, it'll be up tomorrow. On The phone number is 848 777 GROW. I'd like to thank all our advertising sponsors for promoting us Lakewood Scoop, Robin Yanith from Zak, Khalil and Shul from JCN. And OK Clarity for collaborating with us to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support. The Jewish community can go to OkayClarity.com. You can find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engaging forms, and stay inspired. Links will be be sent after the show together with the recap of Reverend C. and Clasco. We're going to go now to the closing words. Please stay on. Reverend Clasco is going to give us a story. The last two stories are from Reverend Clasco. Stayed with me for a long time. So don't hang up. It's going to be worth it. Especially if you're here already at 12 o'clock at night. So you sleep, uh, you know, uh, 20 minutes less. Coach Vanachem, I, I just want to recap before Coach Vanachem goes. Every class, again, I said it, but tonight was a beautiful share because I felt it was very open. It was very honest. A lot of the questions that are asked are real questions. We deal with this. And the part of the share is to really be open about it and talk about it. And I feel like uh, I feel like it's a tremendous chizik. There's so many hundreds of people that are here. was over like 1,200 people here tonight total. I'm sure thousands of people will hear it. And it should be a big chizik and a big success for you and your family. I, you, so I think on a Sunday night, you can have so many people here. So, Kiddush Hashem, Coach Menachem, wrap
0: it up. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Klatsko. Like Yosha said, tonight was really, really powerful. The, the positive feedback is pouring in already on the chat over here, which is really, really amazing. And like we discussed tonight, was the tough questions, but really to understand what's behind the tough question. There's a person there. There's a person. <laughs> He's trying to figure things out, a girl, a boy. And like we said, it boils down many times to the adults that are struggling, that they didn't get what they needed when they were young or now to go somewhere to understand, not really the question. Yes, yes, we try to understand what's going on to make sense, but really under the question, who am I, you know, self-love or whatever it is, where am I coming from, you know, why am I not happy or whatever it is. So when somebody comes with these questions to understand, okay, we we'll listen, but be there. Just be there for them and be there for yourself, which is very important. So if us adults can be there for ourselves, then eventually we can be there for our kids. And if we can be there for our kids, it goes on, they'll be there for theirs. So thank you very much. And uh, yes, we do need to have uh, uh, that you come back because there's a lot of questions. And again, all these powerful questions that we'd love to hear. And the way you say it is is really um, very positive. Thank you.
1: See in Glasgow, leave us a divrei give us a story. I want to not sleep tonight. I want to be up the whole night. Let's go.
2: <laughs> well, I I uh, I'm, I'm going to share with you uh, a story slash idea. You know, Picasso and Dolly, when they used to go into restaurants, they would. Uh, they, it would be it would be time for them to pay. And when they got the bill, they would say, I can either pay the bill, you know, perhaps it was a very expensive steak and wine. I could pay you your two, $300, or I can draw a little drawing on this napkin and give you the napkin. What would you like? And a smart uh, restaurateur, owner of the establishment would say, uh, I would like the uh, the scribble on the napkin. Why is that smart? Well, today, if you could verify that it was a dolly scribble on a napkin, uh, you you know you're talking a minimum of fifteen twenty thousand dollars. Now, if you've ever seen and I have seen those kind of scribbles on those napkins, I could draw them. There is nothing about them that is amazing. So why are they worth $15,000, $20,000? The answer is because of the name on the bottom. The name says who the artist was, and the name says Dali, or the name says Picasso or Chagall. And because they're the artists, that's why it's valuable. I want to tell you something so beautiful. It says in the Pasuk, Bona Yerushalayim Hashem, Hashem, you're the builder of Jerusalem. You're the one who gathers in those who are far-flung, those who are scattered. You're the one. So Hashem, let's come. Let's get the Beis Amikdash rebuilt. And Hashem says, but don't forget, I'm one more thing. I am Lev, fei l'shvurei leif. I'm also the one that... Heals the brokenhearted and gathers in their sorrow. Hashem says, you want me to be the kind of person or the kind of God, you want me to be that God who rebuilds Yerushalayim, who brings the Eden back from Gullus? Don't forget that when there's that almana, when there's that person who's being bullied, when that, that person who's been through things in life, don't forget I'm the one that heals the brokenhearted. And that's who you have to be as well. So how do we do that? So we have to look at the next Pasuk. The next Pasuk is very strange. It says, You know who you are Hashem? You're the one who gives a number to the amount of stars in the universe and you give the stars names. What does the Pasuk of building Yerushalayim have to do with giving stars names? And the answer is, there is a phenomenal amount of stars in the universe, more than there are grains of sand in the entire earth. There are more stars in the heavens. 10 to the 23rd power, if you need to know. A huge amount of stars. And yet, Hashem says, every star is precious to me, so much so that every one of those stars have a name. What is a name? A name means you've got a tafkid, you have a purpose in this world. There's something that you're supposed to do, and that thing no one else is gonna do but you. You're you're amazing. The Gemaran Chulin says that every single person is born with a purpose. Every single person is born with a mission. Maybe the mission was to make this podcast and have so many people come on each week. Maybe the mission was that you're supposed to work for Bicker Cholim, or you're supposed to heal people listening to them. But every single person has a name and they have a purpose. The thing is, some people are more Gishmak and some people, they're just, they're not, they, they're not so cool. They're a little compromised when you look at their demeanor. They're the person in the shul who people may call a Nachlapper. And it's unfortunate. However, they're amazing. You know why? Because Hashem made them. I want to tell you, I have, I own these pillars, these stained glass windows that were made by an artist named Svi Rafaeli. He's a very famous artist. And somebody, the person who gave them to, to, to our family had told me about it for years. They said, we were friendly with Rafaeli and we commissioned these stained glass windows, but we had them in the backyard and they sunk into the ground. If you ever want, you could dig them up and they belong to you. And I always said, "No, I'm not interested. What am I going to do with stained glass windows? And then one day I said, you know, maybe I'll go check them out. It was years after they mentioned it to me. And one day I hired a few people and we went with shovels and we began to dig where these stained glass windows made by this very famous artist were supposed to be. We dug and we dug and we uncovered them. And we pulled up these stained glass windows from the earth and They were so filthy with mud and with grass and with stains that you couldn't see that they were, we just saw they were square or rectangular. So I took a hose from these people's side and I began to hose them down. And as I did that, the mud and the dirt and the grass began to slide off. And then the sun shone through these stained glass windows. And they were stunning, they were gorgeous. And we boxed them up and brought them home and we made them so beautiful in the house. So someone said to me, when you pull them off out of the ground and they were full of grass and weeds and worms crawling up and down, why? Why did you continue? Why did you bother? And I said to them, because you're forgetting something. At the bottom of each stained glass window was a name, Speropheli. So it was worth it, even though they were full of mud and dirt and weeds. Sometimes people are full of dirt and mud and weeds. You look at them and they're just not they are not so appetizing. I like to hang around the gishmak. This person's less gishmak. This person's not the kind of person who I could see myself schmoozing with or befriending. They have some dirt on them. They've been through stuff in life. Maybe their parents didn't understand them. Maybe they don't understand themselves. Maybe they've been through divorce or heartbreak, or maybe they've had death, or maybe they've had terrible experiences in our community or in other communities. We don't know. But it affected them in a way that they now seem to have just all sorts of lich all sorts of dirt on them. But instead of casting them aside, instead of giving up hope on them, understand they're worth trying to clean clean out. They're worth trying to acquire. You know why? Because you know who the artist is who signed his name by every one of these people. Entire kela kenu. There's no artist like Hashem, and Hashem said, "You think a star is impressive?" A star is nothing but a nuclear reaction. It's just hydrogen becoming helium. That's all a star is. And yet, every star gets a name, has a Tafgit. How much more so does every human being have a tofkid? The final story I tell you is there was a group of students at my house, and they were listening to me saying, you all have a purpose, you all have a mission. And this young lady comes over to me afterwards and she said, I don't have a mission. I can't do anything. I said, why would you say that? She said, look at me. And I did. And unfortunately she was born with some very very severe deformities. Part of her face drooped. It didn't have muscles in it. So it looked like she was frowning and her eye was droopy. Half of her face was fine. It was a very difficult deformity to look at. And one of her legs was much longer than the other one. She walked with a hobble and she said, I have no purpose in this world. When you hear that, your ears should sting. Ouch. A person to say I have no purpose. It's like when I say, my name is Ben Sion name? Eh, doesn't make a difference what my name is. I'm just, um, you know, I'm Goldberg. I'm Klein. What do you mean? Hashem made the whole world for you. You're worth it. Mazibarei, not a joke, not cliche, not glib. Hashem made the world for you. Very famous saying by the Labavitcher Rebbe. He used to say that your birthday is the day that Hashem decided that the world needs you to continue. Without you, there's no world. But an empowering idea. And so I told her, you're wrong. You're supposed to do great things. And she says, like what? Usually, I don't try to tell people what to do. Ideas have to come from the inside. We have to find our own causes. But I, I, I understood she needed something. So I said, I'll tell you something. I was just in Israel. And I stood next to somebody at the bus stop, the Tachana. I was an older fellow. And I looked at his shoes. And his shoes were so beaten that the... Top of the shoe and the bottom of the shoe, the sole of the shoe were being held together with duct tape. He had rolled duct tape around the top and the bottom just to make sure that his shoes stayed together. That could not be waterproof. These are the shoes. It's clear he doesn't have another pair of shoes. I told this young lady, you know, we're in America. We don't have an extra pair of shoes. Let's be honest, we have 10 extra pair of shoes we have the shoes we bought for this wedding and that wedding we have the shoe we bought for for our walking our jogging that we never did we've got the shoes for our relaxation the shoes that we thought were comfortable when we left the store they weren't we got a lot of shoes i said how awesome would it be to collect those shoes all those shoes that are sitting in the closets in 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 all over all over let's collect them and let's send them to that's my thought that's what i told her and a few weeks later, I get a call from a man. The man was her father. And he said, Rabbi, I, I got to ask you something. He said, I've got 20 crates of shoes sitting in my living room. What am I supposed to do with them? I said, excuse me, you're her father? She actually did it? He said, oh, she didn't just do it. She hobbled around Flatbush, knocking door to door. Do you have extra shoes for people who need them in Israel? And people are practically throwing brand new shoes at her. Like nothing, she was able to collect 20 crates of shoes. Now, how do we send them? And I tell you that story, because a year later, she passed away from her different deformities. Part of it was her heart. I'm still in touch with the father. The lesson screamed to me. Every single one of us has a name. We're created by the greatest artist. So when we see, a, am just going full circle. When we see a 14 to 19 year old saying, I'm sad, I'm depressed. A teacher shouldn't throw them away. And a teacher shouldn't be yelling at somebody who has questions. And We shouldn't be throwing our kids away who have their own struggles. Every one of them is the most precious thing that ever existed since the beginning of time. And if we are worthy of being their parents, we should know that Hashem made us gazillionaires much wealthier than Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett or, you know, whoever's out there, Elon Musk, much, much wealthier. Every one of the children... How many people are waiting to have children they can't have? So if our child have a, has a struggle, muzzle tough. They're a child. They're struggling because they're they're a teen, muzzle tough. Don't throw it away. And make it may get a little dirt on it, a little grass. Understand but with a little bit of TLC, a little bit of love, the sun will shine through and it'll illuminate and sparkle. And you'll be so proud of yourself and your children. Those are my words.
4: Wow, Rebbe Klatsko.
1: Beautiful, (laughs) Rebbe Klatsko. Thank you again for coming. See everybody next Monday night at 9.30. And Rebbe Klatsko, we love you. Love you too. Have
2: a good Shabbos, everyone. It's Sunday, next Shabbos. Shabbat. Bye-bye.
3: Shabbat. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small Monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes and will be greatly appreciated thank you in advance